and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. I'm Carrie Poppy, and we're back on the Ark. But. No? Well, not on the Ark. Okay, touche. Ark adjacent. Okay. But we've got some more homeschooling classes, and we're going to get through the last of the homeschooling classes today. And were they not on the Ark? Or what's the They were not. They were oh. over in the answer center. Okay, that's so, the answer I was looking for. Yeah, they're always in Genesis too. Whatever you ask, somehow it's, it's in there. Genesis. Not just all of Genesis, which is a you know fairly long book. Chapters 1 to 11. Really? Yeah, that their whole ministry is based on Genesis 1 to 11. That's Whoa. What, that's what they really care about. Okay. How long is Genesis? Well, at least 38 chapters because I remember the story of Judah and Tamar. But uh, probably a little longer. Okay. Let's find out. Let's find out. I'm surprised there is a place in my house where I do not have a Bible <laughs> at reach. But I have my phone and I have my Bible app. I'm getting the answer 50 on the internet. That sounds right. So, I mean, I'm 39 now. And if you were looking over all the years of my life and you only focused on the first 11, I would feel like you missed a whole heck of a lot. I mean, all of it is still scripture and authoritative, but... What Ken Ham feels is, is very Im- <laughs> in Ken Ham's view, uh-huh. but only those first 11 chapters yeah. are really important to your view of the world, your yeah. worldview, yeah, well, you might say. I'm, I'm saying you, that, you that those, make no sense. If you switch those words around. Disagree. Anyways, this is the attitude to go into this with now that we sit down to, to barrel on through these lessons. No, Carrie, no. An open mind will I bring to thee. <laughs> okay. Um, so this seminar is for parents who are homeschooling their kids. Yeah. That's why initially our interest was piqued in this yeah. conference is because they were not only going to be at the ark where you could experience it, but also you were going to have a bunch of lessons on how to raise your children. Yeah. And that's exactly the meat that we're going to be getting back into okay, today. Okay. Yeah. Initially, we wanted to go to the seminar that was happening like the days right after I was there. And when they scheduled a second offering for the overflow. Ross screwed up. It came earlier. Mm -hmm. So we actually got to experience all of this before the fancy people who got the initial tickets. But I was on on my old honeymoon. Oh, that's right. You were off at the Galapagos, which will come up very soon today. Oh, good. Okay, good. And I got to admit, you know, I probably had a better time. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, you're right. Because it's like, (laughs) (laughs) on one hand, I'm like, yes, undoubtedly. But then my brain says, but wait. Are you sure? It was pretty fun being at the ark. That's fair. Uh, Actually, this morning, Drew and I were walking to get coffee and I was like, what's your thing that for Ross is the Bible? What's the thing that you just Mm. can be like, you don't just enjoy it. You're also like encyclopedic about it. (laughs) And Drew couldn't really come up with anything. Okay. I was like, I I feel that way about what I'm doing with this trauma project. Oh, yeah. but like I never, I'm never like, I got to know every director who ever directed the Mary Tyler Moore show. It's just not interesting to me, even okay. though I love that. I, you know, just only certain things trigger that for me. Yeah. I, I was just thinking I feel that way about Disney animation lore. Mm, okay. I, I feel like I have kind of a need to absorb as much as I can. Okay. And yeah. be a font of Disney animation history. Yeah. yeah. I host a Disney podcast. Very few people know that, even though it's really popular. It's, it's super popular. Week. Yeah. But you could 
ask me Walt's middle name and I'd be like, it starts with an E. I don't know. I don't care about this. Elias. That that was my guess. Okay. I should have gone for it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, it's just not, I don't know. Okay. Just only certain things do it. But that for me is like the Bible is to Ross. Yes. I broke this metaphor or comparison. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do want to update a few things because the last time we talked about the Ark, mm-hmm. I mentioned that I had a friend who worked on the Ark that I met while I was oh, there. Yeah, yeah. Kept chatting with him. I'm calling him Daniel. Okay. So I, t- I did text him back and I asked him some of the questions that we had. One was, hey, what's up with the animals that used to be on the Ark? Yeah. And he said, well, they were there when it first launched, which uh-huh. was before he worked there. But he said they stopped in 2017. So essentially one year later. Okay. Because they'd finished building their zoo. That was kind of the answer he had heard, which Uh makes sense. So they, you know, went off somewhere else. But still, it feels like there's an element of having animals on this boat is not. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't work out very well. (laughs) This was not practical. Yeah. Yeah. So I I tried to plumb that a little bit like, oh, did they bring them up the elevators? Where were they keeping them temporarily? (laughs) He didn't have details. Did you have the poop shoot? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Did you build a moon pool? (laughs) Yeah. None of that. So. I mean, it makes sense as an answer. That's fine. But also... No, because the whole thing with the (laughs) Ark is that a bunch of animals get on it and you take it places. That's its whole deal. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So no. And I'm sure, yeah, the smells (laughs) and the management were not easy. Uh Uh-huh. That's got to be the real reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They stood there and they thought... Oh, shit, this didn't happen. They replaced the live animal exhibit with the additional shop store on the Uh second floor. So, what are you going to do? Complain. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it's still on the maps. I'm going to express my displeasure. Like, on the maps, it still indicates that there's supposed to be an animal encounter there. But there isn't. Yeah. They got to change that. You have not proven... Noah's Ark, when you have not put animals on your Ark. Okay, but this is more important. Okay. He tracked down, for me, what POD stands for. Oh, The yes. little robot guy that leads you on your VR time travel journey. Point of delivery? Point of... Or- I, something just came to me. Okay. What's happening? Point of, I know about this. Wait a minute. I had a conversation with John Darniel from the Mountain Goats about this. Carrie looks like she just rebooted. <laughs> like- it's like point of deliverance? Point of... Is it point of something? No. <laughs> you just sat there, yeah. you little shit. You just sat there and let me say point of, point of. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you had a process going? I wasn't going to interrupt it. Just so politely blinking at me. Okay, what is it? We had talked also about a Christian band called P.O.D. that was, I think, payable on death. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. (laughs) Well, turns out it's... Wait, what? I didn't write it down in my notes. I have to go look at the text message. Okay. Please hold. Okay. Hi, this is my podcast now. This is my NPR voice. I'm Hedy Lynn Hurdies. And today, Ross Blotcher has died while trying to look up a fact. I died? I don't know. It just seems like what would be on NPR. Here's P.O.D. Yeah. Personal observation device. And what was it He was the little robot docent that... Oh, okay. Hey, let's uh, get in our seats and put on our seatbelts. We're going to go to the past. Okay. What have you. So you can observe it yourself. Okay, fine. Thank you to my friend. It was fun talking to him again. Probably should have been explained somewhere, but 
fine. And maybe it was, but maybe it was. He got the answer for me. That's what's important. Daniel, what's up? If you listen, you know what? I actually have another update. The last time I was mentioning Babel, and I had in my head, I had seen somewhere 70 years on one of the many things I read about Babel and internalized it. I should say to Answers in Genesis's credit, they say it was 102 years between the flood and the Tower of Babel. And this is to their credit? Yeah, it's more time than I was giving them. Okay. For them to repopulate the earth. Oh, I see. So I that see. God would need to go confuse everybody. Oh, right, right, right. That whole story. Uh, still, All these stories have just very bad lessons. I Indeed. And I still say that my critiques apply. I still think it's kind of an absurd story that like, okay, we did this whole wipe everybody out thing and oh, we're already upset again. We got to confuse <laughs> them all, make new languages. Because they were working together too much? Yeah. Oh my God. Or if you're Ken Ham, because they were not spreading around the earth fast enough. Oh, right, right. All right. Well, let's hop into our next class, which was the final class of Tuesday. Day. It was called Teaching Science from a Biblical Worldview. Okay, now we've got it, baby. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. So we're back downstairs under the Answer Center, and we've got a new character to meet, Dr. Jennifer Hall Rivera. Ooh, Dr. Jennifer Hall Rivera. Where's her doctorate from? What's it in? Okay, you're going to like this. So she's a forensic scientist. Okay. Speaker. Okay. Interesting. Author. Okay. Director of Educational Programs at Answers in Genesis. Okay. And then they had us give her a hand. This was their introduction of her. But yeah, if you look her up, she graduated from, you've guessed this before, but I'm not going to make you do this, that you look ready to guess. Bob Jones University. That's a really good guess. Liberty University. You got it. Hey, well done. Well done. There aren't that many to guess. That was (laughs) right. Acceptable (laughs) Christian universities. Yeah, William Jennings Bryan College, (laughs) which sits... On the grounds where John Scopes taught evolution. Oh, seriously? That high school has been raised and replaced with William Jennings Bryan College. I've been to it. Whoa. Bummer. Oh, man. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that feels like, uh, well, that was an intentional little jab, jab, jab. For anyone not familiar with that story, watch Inherit the Wind. Sure, that'll the, do the it. The Scopes Monkey Trial. Yeah. Um, Look it up. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I've been there. I went there with my best friend, Claire. Okay, so yeah, she graduated from Liberty University in 2018, so not too long ago. Oh, yeah. Got her PhD. And all when right. I, I was looking her up, I saw that she was at a place called Washington Online Learning Institute until 2022 so i'm guessing she was working there but there you go that's her pedigree for teaching forensic science yeah that's interesting usually forensic experts say something more specific than science at the end of their name usually it's a forensic psychologist or yeah well biologist i can tell you already she's really into microscopy okay she's gonna teach one of my later classes okay and yeah she's into forensics that seems to be her beat Right. Francis is just so broad. She's also author of Work of Your Hand, Fingerprints, God, and You, a a forthcoming high school textbook. Oh, very good. Also called Forensic Science from a Biblical Worldview. Mm. So she's the one to be teaching these classes. Okay, okay. So picture her. She's a short brunette woman. Okay. With pale blue eyes. Okay. Dark hair about down to her chin. Okay. It's a little little wild and curly on one side. Okay, interesting. She's wearing black pants. Okay. A black shirt. Okay. Black sweater. Okay. Black accessories. Uh huh. It's all black. Okay. I'm and, picturing it. And she looks a lot like uh, one of your teachers in middle school. 
Interesting, because I've just been picturing that character that Brad Bird voices in The Incredibles. Edna Mode. Yeah, Darling. but with a little bit of curly hair. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here she is, Dr. Jennifer Rivera. Oh, looks nothing like I was picturing nothing. All right, reset your picture <laughs> and your expectations. Okay, got it. Cool, she looks nice. Yeah, I would put her in her, maybe in her early to mid 40s. Yeah, that sounds right. And she is a fast talker. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. It was just mile a minute with her. Oh, really? Really hard to keep Faster up. Faster than Cher Jolene? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a different sort of energy level, but yeah. about that speed. Okay. Really hard to keep up with on notes because yeah. she had her talking points. They came out fast. She was a bit repetitive. Okay. It, it was a lot of work. That's okay. what I'm saying. <laughs> I always feel that I'm speaking too fast when I'm giving a talk, so this is relatable. Uh, okay. Well, she was introduced like all of our other speakers have been, and uh, everybody clapped for her, and she said, are we all having a good time? Oh, yeah, we were having a- No! <laughs> we are having a good time, and there were uh, like two dozen of us in there. Okay, and what's the, if you had to guess at people's gender, what's the gender spread here? I don't recall. Call and I didn't make a note, but I'm I'm gonna say it's fairly even. Okay. Um, and mostly adults. Mostly adults. Um, you know, you've always got a few kids hanging around because these people came with their kids. But yeah, mostly adults. And I'm picturing a soda fountain in every room because of the soda situation. Is there always a soda fountain? No, there should be though. Yeah, there should be. Totally should be. This is America. I I was pretty good about keeping my big arc cup. Which Good. sat in my little ARC backpack, which I still have here. My Answers in Genesis backpack. Very nice. Which I like it. And the cup was always there, ready and full with soda. I am kind of a soda-holic. Yeah. And, uh, What's your favorite soda? I was enabled. Uh, root beer. Oh, root beer. I knew that. You knew come that. Come on. Carrie, come on. Get it together. Uh, my favorite soda, of course, mm-hmm. is a Diet Pepsi. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty equal opportunity. I've also grown to fancy ginger beer of late. Ginger beer is good. Good stuff. Ginger beer and rum, real good. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Hot tip. And she asked the audience who's here for the first time. Whoop. And it was actually uh, very few people. So I, I was one of them. Oh. Like looking around. Oh, oh, you've all been here That's before. That's interesting. Unless it's like we've had multiple days of this conference. but I- <laughs> That would be really funny if that's how people interpreted the question. No, I have been here three days. Didn't you see me before? I think very literally. And I have been here previously. I've been sitting in this chair for over 10 minutes. I feel that I am now a veteran. But yeah, assuming that it's the normal interpretation, that's interesting that everybody else is like a return client. Yeah, uh, because from a previous question that Ken Hammett asked, most of the people there are from other states. Right. So people are just like coming home to this. They're into it. Yeah. This must be their little thing for the year where you, yeah, where you come back and you feel like these are my people. Recharge my batteries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yo, this is their Tam. So she was highlighting some of the science programs that she's very involved with and leads for Answers in Genesis. And she even said, our ministry has some upcoming one day programs. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just so interesting. They say ministry in the same breath as like, here's our science programs. Sure. Yeah. Not even trying to hide it. Hiding it would be bad. Mm-hmm. You can't hide your lamp under a bushel. Exactly. Um, right. That's bad. You're yeah, not supposed to do that. Okay. Yeah. Light under a bushel. Bad. Yeah. 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 But Gotta also, let it shine. but you do need to pray in secret in a closet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Just but checking. we should be a city on a hill shining. Yeah. Yeah. It's confusing. Very confusing. So they have like these one day programs you can send your kids to explore days, explorer juniors, and your kids get to do microscopy. And you realize very quickly, she loves to say the word microscopy. Okay. It would be a deadly drinking game (laughs) if you were in the back just like- That means what I think it means, right? Yeah, using a microscope. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, but all of their programs, somehow you end up with a microscope in front of you. So they have these five. School, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So they have these five day science camps that you can send your kid. Two. And one is a forensic science camp. She says it's the most popular. And we solve a case together. Ooh, fun. So you probably like find hair and then you do hair microscopy. <laughs> and you, is this so, her example? <laughs> yeah, because she teaches <laughs> she hair, my, hair microscopy. Okay. And I'm sure fingerprints will be involved because she also really likes fingerprints and, uh, and DNA. Okay. Yeah. She so, likes DNA. Hey, I'd I'd do it. But Interesting. I'm me. I'd do it too, but I think I'm too old. It sounds like it's for children. And then she mentioned another camp. She said it was a another five day science camp, but the only feature of it she mentioned was that they do zip lining. And I was like, <laughs> is it the cool. science of zip lining? I'm like, okay, I'm in, but. <laughs> I'm sure there was more to it. I love to zip line though. But they have a dinosaur dig that you can sign up your kids for. Where they just like roast the dinosaurs. They stand up there and they're like, hey, this stupid fucking brontosaurus over here to dig. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. it. You got yeah, it. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, you, you, I get that. You go to Montana with okay. Dr. Rivera and Dr. Georgia Perdom, she's the Answers in Genesis molecular geneticist. Oh, okay. They love to collect their PhDs. And she got hers Where'd from go? Ohio State University. Oh, okay. It's like, hey, all right, normal school. Good job. Okay. Uh, she's also this co-host of the Dinosaur Dig. She is author of Galapagos Islands, A Different View. <laughs> I know what that means. Yes. So here's a nice little select quote from the Amazon page for that okay. book. She's talking about Galapagos. Where Darwin once visited and later used evidence from to support his faulty case for evolution, discover the wonder of God in this full-color book, as well as powerful insights that give him the glory due his name. Your faith will be strengthened as you learn the importance of a biblical worldview from some of the best apologetic speakers in the country. It's an overall emphasis on Galapagos as testament to God's majesty and mercy rather than the empty legacy of one man. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I was at the Galapagos Islands mm -hmm. at this moment, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And the Galapagos is cool because you can see what he's talking about. You go to this one island that's just a little bit further away and they're like, yeah, the red-footed birds are only here. They're not over there. That's we were just there the other day. That's wild. Yeah. So it's, sounds it's pretty like, hard to explain without turning to their environment and saying, oh, they needed to fit in here. Sounds like you've really bought into this, Carrie. I think, <laughs> I think I need to get you this book. <laughs> it's fair. So if you go to the Dinosaur Dig, you also get a tour of the Fact Center, which stands for Foundation for Advancing Creation Truth. Cool. So what we're going to cover today in yep. this talk... What is science? Where does that word come from? <laughs> oh, good. I like Scientology. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Does science have limitations? And oh. are there things it can't answer? I wonder what their answer to that this is going to be. going to take up the whole hour already. And where do we go to find those answers? <laughs> well, okay, we already have <gasps> okay. now stipulated that science doesn't have all the answers. Why is it important to teach science from a biblical worldview? And what do I We're call... We're already here. You don't need to convince us of why. She's going to. And <laughs> what do I, I, Jennifer Rivera, call the seven E's of biblical science education? That's... What? That's our outline. No, 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 no. Okay. The seven E's, first of all, that's already something she's coming up with. You can't say, what do I, Carrie, call, and then something that's already a Carrieism. <laughs> it's confusing. Yeah, well, oh, that's what you get. She needs a copy editor. Are you offering your services? 
Yeah. Okay. Just like Carrie will tell you if you're correctly rounding up a number. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've been thinking about making this as a spreadsheet. So you'd be able to look and you'd be like, Carrie, I have 376 <laughs> of an item. What are my options here? <laughs> and then there's, there's columns and it's like, you can say over 300. If, if you know, if this is a website. Over 350. If this is a website and you can't go back and update it all the time, mm-hmm, I'll take mm-hmm. over 300 until 400. Oh, is this in print? No, you are putting the exact number. And then just uh, be an endless spreadsheet with all I these like different it. options. And I will take up the rest of my life to make. I was watching a video recently that mentioned over 999 arrests. Oh, that's right. You <laughs> sent me this. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to send this to Gary. <laughs> So ridiculous. I was in the middle. Oh, God. Is it a thousand? (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Yeah, like, what if it turned out to be like 6,500? And they were like, it's over 999. (laughs) So weird. (sighs) What a world we live in. Okay, so I bet you're wondering at this point, what is science? No. (laughs) No one here was wondering that. Well, that's it for our show. Like, everyone at this conference has a concept of what science is. Yeah. They didn't look at the title of this talk and say, I don't know that word. Sure. Well, don't worry. The dictionary is going to come into this. Okay. All right. Well, science means knowledge gained through learning and application. All right. Fine. All right. Okay, good. Okay. That works. And she says you might be picturing like a lab coat and experiments. And she starts listing off elements of the scientific method, hypothesis, experiment, verification of results, replication. Good. Falsifiability. We we call this observational science. Mm, Okay. And that's very good. That's valid. It's the scientific method. We like it. Okay. But it's different than historical science. Okay. That's stuff which happened in the past, and we weren't (laughs) able to directly observe. No one was there Mm -hmm. to date these things, and she already starts going into, like, examples of fossils and stuff. We apply interpretations and assumptions. That requires a worldview. That's a different thing. Uh, They still use the phrase science. They say historical science, but they want to set it apart. Okay. Yeah. I mean completely disagree from the jump but here we have it okay so her classic example that she starts with is in 1974 a few fragments of lucy uh-huh. were found the australopithecus Lucille, well, oh. she's still alive in 74 yeah yeah died in. watch this ross i'm not even gonna look died in 1989 i think what i think i was six i believe you she you. she had my birthday August 6th. Nice. Look together how much we know about Lucille Ball. Yeah, that's right. So listen, Lucy, don't (laughs) write to us and complain. So uh, I didn't realize this, but apparently now I've been reading about Lucy quite a bit. She was named because the song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was played regularly during the archaeological dig. Yeah. I like that. Why not? Okay, so she said that only 47 of the 207 bones required to fully identify the specimen were found. I don't know what she means by identify, too. Like, we, in order to figure out who this particular woman was? To establish a, like, a holotype as a, a new species or something like that. Okay. But it's a moot point anyway, because now we found over 300 mm. examples of Australopithecine, some far more complete. But she was also pointing out that there were no hand and foot bones found on that original specimen. And they were trying mm. to make all these broad claims about her being upright. And scientists knew she was 
upright from other clues from the hips and, and knees you know you, you can she's upright she was hip but they say lucy you got some splaining to do yeah exactly and then at every turn she was saying things that i was like that's not right and then i'd look it up and be like no it's not oh no one of these okay so another one this was a, a gross mischaracterization she was saying and then like they found a thousand miles away they found some footprints and they said that it must belong to the same creature And they use that to support that she walked upright. Well, the bipedal fossilized footprints were found, indeed, a thousand miles away, like four years later. And yeah, it turns out they were from about the same time period, like 3.66 million years ago. But no scientists were saying this was the sole support of Australopithecines being bipedal. They had other data. Anyways, she was like Mm. making this conflation to make it sound absurd. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you found this totally different thing a thousand miles away and you linked Mm -hmm. it together. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing I would have latched onto as a kid and then repeated in college. I see. And didn't bear out when I actually read up on these things. Anyway, so that was her first example of uh, historical science and mainstream scientists doing it wrong to serve a narrative. Right. Okay. Okay. So now let's bring the dictionary into this. So she gives us the 1828 definition of science from Webster's Dictionary. Hmm. And she said, they defined science as the science of God must be perfect. What? That's not a definition. There's no way they started with the science. And- To define science. I mean, to be fair, on the slide, it had the full quote, and she had just highlighted the example sentence. Oh, I see. the way it came out of her mouth was, they defined it this way. Oh, my God. It's not a definition. No. Oh, how awful. So So she's taking the, like, that little sample sentence that's mm-hmm. not supposed to be fact at all. Right. That's just and, usage. And she's, oh my God. And she's saying that's the definition. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. This is basic shit. The rest of the definition was, and I, and I did, now at this point, I don't trust that anything she right. says. So later yeah. on, I'm like, I'm going to the 1828 version of yeah. Merriam-Webster oh, just to check. Boy, I've been living this life for three years. <laughs> yeah. So the definition was knowledge, the comprehension or understanding of truth or facts by the mind. Okay, fine. Okay. So then she says, but if we shoot forward to 1913, they removed God. And the example sentence here just says, called also natural science. Again, she glossed over the main definition, which was knowledge as it relates to the physical world, the nature, constitution, and forces of matter, called also natural science. Which is, you know, fine. But now she sees this as a deliberate removal of God. Because the example sentence is gone? Uh Uh-huh. That's right. We have to call this woman. (laughs) Like, she doesn't have basic information about how a dictionary works. Yeah, that's right. So This is a PhD holder? uh, Yes. Who can't read, like, two lines from a dictionary. From Liberty University. Yeah, but this is so embarrassing. (laughs) It is. And there will be more embarrassment from this woman. Oh, no. Even in her field. Girl, if you are listening, like, get a hold of yourself. This is so embarrassing. So she asks all of us, so what do you think happened between 1828 and 1913? Uh, okay. Think, think of your man from Galapagos. Oh, I see, I see. Darwin sailed the ocean blue. It was the origin of species, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so just in case she hadn't brutalized the dictionary enough, uh, she then gave us the 2020 Webster's definition. Ugh! Knowledge or a system of knowledge covering general truths or the operation of of general laws obtained and tested through the scientific method. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah, this is we've gone a long we've gone a long way 
And she wants us to know that there are plenty of great scientists who gave their lives to the glory of the creator God. This is another phrase she uses a lot. Creator God. Mm. Microscopy. Creator God. (laughs) Okay. Of course. uh, You know, Galileo, Isaac Newton, Carl Linnaeus, Michael Faraday, Louis Pasteur. All these people had at least a passing belief in a personal God. That's great. And that was de rigueur. That was pre-Darwin. You know, like, yeah, that's what you believe. Uh, Yeah. And and brilliant people are capable of believing something that is true and something that is false. Yeah. That happens all the time. This is very important for them to at least establish that hey you can be a christian yeah you know, f- true. fair true yeah no, no you can no argument there but your odds are lower indeed like so, a lot lower so she brings up a chart which she'd gotten from forbes of the belief quotient of scientists in different countries mm. and it only compared turkey india taiwan italy hong kong the u.s the uk and france Okay. And, you know, interesting sampling. But as you move from left, and funny, we were just talking about Turkey and how they have like the lowest acceptance of evolution amongst developed countries, even lower than the U.S. Mm -hmm. So as you move from Turkey to India to Taiwan to Italy and, and on, the percentage of scientists who express belief in God kind of shrinks, you Mm. know, starts out high and then gets lower. And she said it's about even in the U.S., which again was deceptive because they had separated non-belief into atheists and agnostic. Oh, I see. And so it looked like all three of those were kind of even. So it's like, well, no, it's kind of two to one. You've only got a third who believe in God at all. Exactly, yeah. So she has a hard time reading charts and dictionaries. (laughs) God. And, and everybody kind of audibly booed at the UK and France because they were even worse. Sure. And uh, we've often seen statistics like this where they point out generally belief among scientists is low. Mm-hmm. People who professionally become scientists. But amongst the Academy of Sciences, it's even lower. We're talking like uh, 90% non-belief versus like 10% oh, wow. is that high? belief. Wow. I mean, and you could say there's sort of like a a club atmosphere there, people who are nominated to the Academy of Scientists. I'll, you know, I'll accept that. But, you know, they left out Germany. That would also look really bad on their scale. Mm. Going back to the last chart, what was the overarching point she was making with the whole chart? Is that things are going in a bad direction okay. in some of these countries where okay. people who should be scientists who believe in God are losing their faith And it's giving science a bad name. It's giving creationism a bad name. Okay. Yeah, it's probably giving creationism a bad name. Mm -hmm. That's true. (laughs) So then she shows us one ad from City of Hope, you know, the hospital, Mm -hmm. saying, in science lives hope. And you see, like, someone on a hospital bed, you know. Uh I mean, yeah, because. She finds this offensive? Yes. So she felt like this was science becoming a religion, that it would say that science hope? gives hope. Uh-huh. Whoa. And she pointed to oh, no. a section from their website, something related to this ad campaign. And she underlined where it said, we combine science with soul to create medical miracles. I see. Okay. And she said to the audience, does that sound like a religion to you? And they all murmured in agreement. A yeah, little over. No, no, they were they were thoroughly convinced. But it's like, huh. come on, one hospital right. uses the language of miracles. Right. I yeah. I, I probably would have been like, I don't like this copy, but <laughs> yeah. I still get it. It's metaphor. Yeah, even I yeah, I would also say, uh, oh, you're kind of blending weird, uncomfortable things, but all right, sure. Yeah, uh, but it's clearly a metaphor. But this is kind of the conspiratorial 
conspiratorial logic where we found one person who did this. Right. You know, one organization that did this. And it gives lie to the whole seedy underbelly. And what about all the like Christian hospitals? What if they had said we blend science and soul? Would that have been okay? Oh, I guess the answer is just yes. <laughs> yeah. It might depend on the source. That's a good point. Yeah. Or the, okay. the spirit in which it's given. But she said all they're missing from being a religion is having an evangelist. So guess who she would highlight next as, as an evangelist for science or, good guess, an atheism? Richard Dawkins. Yep. That's oh, right. Oh, Richard. And everybody, in, Doc, everybody in this room immediately knew who Richard Dawkins oh, was. Wow. He's still public enemy number one. Wow. Okay. So He's like 82. Yep. Isn't that right? Yeah. Something like that. I, I remember once going to my, I still consider my church. I don't go there regularly, but mm-hmm. I, I have a Presbyterian church in my neighborhood that is full of wonderful people. But uh, I remember going there once after I was kind of out as an atheist, but not everybody knew it. And standing amongst these guys, and one of them said, I saw the queen of the atheists on TV last night, and she was saying blah, 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 blah. And to this day, I wonder, who was who the queen was of the atheists? The queen. the queen of the atheists. Wow, yeah. It's not a field that is overrun by women. So yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, I wonder who that I'm was. I'm glad we have a queen, but yeah. Huh. It wasn't Madeline Murray O'Hare. It sounded like it was someone who was still alive. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? So the queen of the atheist. Do you remember who the guy was? Yes. Yes, I do. Can you find him? I might be able to track him down. How long I- do you think it's been since he said this toss-off <laughs> remark? Oh, a decade. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, I wanted to follow up on something you said. It's, it's, it's really been bothering me. You said the queen of the atheist was on CNN. Who is she? Who's the queen of the atheist? It was 2013. <laughs> and you said... And it really stuck with me. I wake up at 2.15 a.m. every morning, and I wonder, who's the queen of the atheists? I don't know. Uh, so Richard Dawkins comes up on screen, and it's this kind of like audible boo hiss. Great. And what an honor. she plays a little interview, and he says, I'm an evangelist for scientific truth. Uh, you know, he's all about using poetic language and borrowing sure. religious imagery. Fine. But for them, that was just like, oh, they admitted it. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're trying to evangelize. And she caught him red handed because he said in that interview that he believes believers are victims of their religion. But he claims to know that God doesn't exist, which is a claim that requires faith. And so he is a victim of his own religion. Ha! She didn't read that book. There's, <laughs> I, I read that book. Yep. Yeah, and he has that chart. He says atheism falls from like zero to six. Yeah, one to Bel- s- He says like belief in God falls from- A one to seven. Okay, one to seven. Which and- annoyed me because I was like, make a 10 point scale. <laughs> and one is I'm completely certain there is no God. And seven is I'm completely certain there is a God. And he very clearly is like- no one should be at one or seven. Right. I'm, I'm at two, which is like, I don't see a reason to believe this, but I wouldn't say that it's possible to know a negative. That won't get exciting murmurs from <laughs> yeah, this audience. So. Yeah, it's just interesting to watch that play out. And it played out exactly as I've seen it before. But uh, the Bible shows us that science means knowledge and knowledge comes from God. Okay. And so she's got Bible Great. verses up the wazoo. I won't list one quarter of the Bible verses she did because there's only so much time on this earth that we have to live. Yeah, wow. Okay. (laughs) Deep. But I'll mention one, Job 37, 16. Do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? 
It's like they did a word search for knowledge and they're yeah, like, eh, close enough. Yeah. There's so many of these kinds of slant references. It's like you kind of address the thing, but not mm-hmm. really. Oh, interesting. That'll okay. happen a lot this day. It's like she just pulled out her concordance. Uh, but she gave us attributes of God. He is the God of knowledge. He has infinite knowledge. His knowledge is separate from human knowledge. His knowledge is perfect. His knowledge is denied by the wicked. The believer is secure in this knowledge. And she okay. su- she supported each one of those with like one or two verses. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't know, Carrie, does that sound like a religion to you? Um, It does. I feel like we also haven't gotten to the topic of her actual talk. Yeah. Yeah. The title is Teaching Science from a Biblical Worldview. Yeah, I thought she was just going to give me some instruction about like how to present this stuff, but there will be is... a little bit of that. Okay. So, like some real philosophical scaffolding I did not need. Here we go, though. Okay. Now she's going to lay into things that science cannot answer, okay. as she promised in her outline. Okay, good. Okay. So, science cannot tell us why we sleep, they don't know, they don't have any idea. Boy, okay, so my mind immediately goes to like four ways you could answer the question, Mm -hmm. but okay, why is it sort of a teleological concept? Is that what she means? That there's like, we can't say for sure it's one best purpose. Fine, but that's not a useful piece of insight. Yeah, and it's this kind of a God of the gaps argument where you just mm-hmm. identify things that are not fully settled science. Right. And you say, ha ha, you haven't solved any of this science. But sleep does a lot of very important things. Oh, yeah. Like that- storing long-term memories and- uh, Almost all of our like immunological processes. Yeah, rebuilding our body, mm-hmm. restoring ourselves to our full height. All kinds of things happen <laughs> while we're asleep. Bizarre. Okay. We work out problems from the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we sure, there's more to understand about sleep. Okay. She says science can't explain why we dream. I feel like that's adjacent enough to what we just uh, discussed. And it's always they don't know. But the reason you know they don't know is because they've told you everything that we do know, which is quite a bit. And how are you ever going to learn? How will we learn from more science? Anyways, they don't know how birds migrate. Okay. They have some theories. And I looked up like a scientific American article and I was like, this is pretty detailed, like the understanding of how the magnetic system works with related. Yeah, it feels like a game with just the words how and why. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's a fun one. They don't know why tomatoes have 30,000 genes and humans only have 20,000. Okay. I've seen this presented as a creationist argument before by Kent Hovind. Okay. Like he'll point to simpler life forms that have larger genomes than us as if somehow the count of the genes is a measure of complexity or development but no sometimes just gene sequences get duplicated ad nauseum and it doesn't hurt the organism and they're thinking this proves evolution didn't happen why well that's just grossly inefficient you know there would be more information in a human than there would be in a tomato. Carrie's looking off trying to figure out the logic of it. It's not there. Okay. You won't find it. To look into this more, but okay. It's a, it's a very cursory, wow, the numbers are bigger. There must be more information in the tomato. But right. That's but why would God make it that way? Good question. This falls within the exercise of poking holes in science rather than making a positive claim for, right. for your okay. belief. Okay. Very, very strange. 
And she said, you know what? Maybe I'll ask creator God someday in heaven if yeah. I if oh, I remember yeah. to. It sounds like you don't have the answer either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, yeah, I don't remember the part in the Bible where they're like, hey, we're just going to take a minute to explain why tomatoes have so many genes. There are many passages in Numbers that they could have very oh, easily replaced totally. with this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say they could just toss off like, that's answered in Numbers 2311. Oh. And everyone would probably be like, yes, yes. Sure is. We're definitely not looking at Numbers. Boring ass book. I'll I just believe you. feel like there are long swaths of the Bible that could be easily replaced oh, with much better sections of absolutely. the Bible. Uh, science can't answer anything to do with moral judgments. I see. I even disagree with that. Right. I think we're honing in on the same answer to these next few complaints. She says, uh, science can't tell us why something is beautiful. It can't... Ex- <laughs> False. It can't explain how to use knowledge. It's like all of these things science can tell us a lot about. Yeah, can yeah. inform our decisions, but... There'll be more to know, but that's it. And not every human action or thought requires science as a process for us to process. No, but if you want to, you can. Somet- like Sometimes it's adjacent. But, you know, beauty, like we've certainly looked a lot into why people find other human beings physically beautiful. And, right. And we understand why flowers are certain colors and, you know, how like we all evolve together. In an environment to, where, yeah. To make those things appealing to one another so you could borrow each other's capacities to pass on your genes. Yeah. Well, you just explained it. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Dr. Rivera. <laughs> I mean, you want the bee to like the flower, so you make the flower pretty. So she gives us some examples of how we can go to God's word for answers. And she quotes Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Think on those things. And that's her answer to all those aesthetic questions. Okay. Again, not really answering the question. It's just... I know that verse, but maybe our listeners don't. Yeah. So that's that's a verse that's basically like, think pure thoughts, right? Yeah. Think about positive things, you know, okay. which is great. Yeah. It's, a, it's a nice little verse as far yeah. as verses go. By the way, uh, that got featured in Women Talking, one of the movies oh, right. nominated by for... Sarah Pauly. Did you write that? Sarah Paulson. I believe you. I don't okay. remember the name I of the author. Uh, writer. Oh, cool. Yeah, interesting movie, but I won't get sidetracked. Uh, but when they started quoting that, I leaned over to Andrew and I was like finishing the sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, science also can't tell us where money should be invested in science or where we should publish or broadcast science results well no that's not true i that's a weird one first of all but second there's tons of like research into marketing and what what messaging works and yeah i mean should is maybe a big word but all you're proving is something semantic there right and if science if we broaden it to just be the collection of knowledge about how the world works Mm -hmm. then yeah all of these things are informed by science yeah but sure the process of choosing to broadcast is not a scientific question. Right. So it's just like a category error. It can't answer why music is beautiful, why a painting is captivating, spiritual concepts. Like, is there one all-powerful God? Why is there so much suffering? Why do people do bad things? And I'm thinking, okay, science can definitely tell us a lot about that. Yeah. Famously, your Bible doesn't cover a lot of these things. Right. So uh, it it was kind of a Gish Gallup there, named after Dwayne Gish, the famous creationist, who would rattle off so many arguments. Well, not that there's anyone responding to our arguments in this room anyway, but if someone was, it would just be like, where do I start? Right. Too many features, all wrong. It was very fast. 
You know, it's an interesting example about the tomato. Yeah. Because sometimes science looks into things that you don't expect them to. Mm -hmm. For example, I'm looking at this Nature article from 2012, all about why the tomato has so many genes. Oh, wow. Uh Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, what's the abstract? Yeah, the abstract closes with, these triplications set the stage for the neo-functionalization of genes controlling... Fruit characteristics, such as color and fleshiness. Okay. So there you go. You needed that many to get that tomato. And uh, I'm not as colorful or fleshy. <laughs> so there- You know, really popular crop that humans had <laughs> yeah. a, lot, a lot of interference with. Absolutely. There well, you go. There you go, Dr. Rivera. You're welcome. <laughs> you can remove the picture of the tomato from your slide. <laughs> I was having a really hard time keeping up with the notes, and so I re-listened to my recording of this later, and I just (laughs) noticed that I kept involuntarily letting out long sighs. (laughs) (laughs) Irrelatable, yeah. 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 And he knows everything. So we always know that he is before us, preparing the way for us. Modern educational philosophy gruesomely insults our God and our Christ. Mm. They must learn to reason properly, and biblically speaking, this is the purpose of education. This is why it is so key that you start early, right? She had a quote that she had also pulled from Forbes. Science has limitations. You never know when your assumptions will suddenly become invalid. Everything we do in science, no matter how well it gets tested, is always preliminary. True. Yep. We're going to hold that against them? Yeah. Okay, got it. Because they admit their knowledge is provisional. It's good to hold people's honesty against them. Ours is completely (laughs) accurate and uh, never never changing. Exactly. Great. Okay, parent responsibility. That's another slide. Why is this so essential to raise our kids this way? Well, part of it is that you as a parent are responsible for your child's salvation. Yeah, right. Obviously, we all get this. And this is great. She lists Bible verses. And just tell me if you notice a trend here with these verses. You shall teach them to your sons. Deuteronomy 11. Hear ye, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 1.8. Okay. Hear, O sons, the instructions Mm. of a father. Proverbs Mm. 4. Okay. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Proverbs 6. Okay, they were all in English. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is it that they all addressed sons and not daughters? Right. Huh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost as if some of these stories amount to women should get no education. And we don't need to name them Uh in our bedrock stories of the world's history. Did you ever think about this? Eve ate the fruit (laughs) that was knowledge. (laughs) She wanted knowledge. She wanted to know things. And that was bad. And there was no Bible at the time. Oh, yeah. How can the Bible be the truth if the truth is the fruit and Eve ate the fruit. Checkmate. Checkmate. Yeah, I just I thought it was so funny the slide had all these references to sons. Yeah. What about yeah. the daughters? Did yeah, they get what to learn about anything? The daughters. Speaking of women talking. Although I did hear that the mother was involved there. You do listen to your mother. Yeah. Listen okay. to your mother. Yeah. That's good. Listen to your mother. Listen to your mother. Okay, but there's only two options. There's only two worldviews to choose from. Okay. The other huh. one is humanism. And okay. I'm thinking, there's other worldviews. 
there's yours and then there's like a bunch of other Christian ones. Yeah, totally. And other religions, but you're saying, and, and this is a Ken Ham point, it's either our way or humanism. Right. So she goes to the uh, dictionary again. Humanism is viewed as relying on reason, logic, and naturalism as opposed to religious dogma and supernaturalism. And she points out there, because it calls religious dogma religious dogma, she says, look, the dictionary is even mocking religion. They have a really fraught relationship with dictionaries. Yeah, yeah. Apparently. Not basic understanding of how to read them. I'm always, I don't know, it interests me that they have adopted humanism as the enemy. Because to me, it just feels like this very kind of progressive arm of philosophical non-belief. Yeah, anti-enlightenment kind of mentality. Yeah, and it's supposed to be kind of a, a ecumenical or a um a secular thing and that it's open to everybody humanism you know Mm -hmm. you can even have a long tradition of humanism within judaism and other Mm -hmm. religions Mm -hmm. you know they're not incompatible things but yeah that's the enemy here but why not science why why are we entering humanism into this which is like uh, theoretically science-based but like because it has encroached on science it's tried to make itself synonymous with science i see and there's been this whole there's this conspiratorial angle to all of this where it's been a plan to supplant good honest science with humanism Humanism. Mm -hmm. huh okay interesting uh so she applauds everyone here for having chosen to teach your kids at home because science is the main subject where people get led astray interesting okay and she'll have some stats on that later but now it's time to introduce her seven e's of biblical science i wonder what she'll call them interestingly enough when i was in that critical thinking skills course Mm -hmm. there were three e's oh none of them are here so okay. that was excite, equip, enable. Okay. Not to be confused with enable of Cain and Abel. Right. Uh, now we've got like a hierarchy, like a Maslow's hierarchy. And going from the bottom to the top, we have edifying, essential, equipping, early, earnest, engaging, and eternal. Okay. So you start out with edifying. Learning should support spiritual edification. And this, so that's the most important. This is a ama- or is it the thing you hit first? The thing that you need to do first because okay. everything else is based on that. See, I would think like engage or excite would be first. Like yeah. if you're trying to catch the attention of a child. I think they were also padding to get seven. Uh huh. You know, okay. one one was able to hit a holy number with three. Yeah, and it's like oh, we got six, mm-hmm. but I can't stop there. Right. Let's add earnest. No one likes that. Let's number. be earnest about it. This verse for edifying was one I heard all the time. Proverbs one seven: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I don't know. I wasn't supposed to have wisdom. I was supposed to not eat the fruit. What do you want? <laughs> well, you start with the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom, not okay, fruit. I see. <laughs> not fruit. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm listening to a book right now, Words on the Move by John McWhorter. It was interesting. He was talking about the origins of certain words for food. And apple as a word used to refer to any fruit. Ah, okay. Like, oh, that could explain that, that problem. That that was like a little click for me. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Because Christians will often argue about this. It actually wasn't an apple. It was a fruit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, some kind of fruit. It didn't say a whale, actually. It was a Big giant fish. fish. Uh, okay, so n- after edifying, it should be essential. Uh, and this this is quite a quote that they picked out. This is just part of it. But non-Christian education puts the child in a vacuum. The result is... <laughs> 
wait for this next sentence. The result is that the child dies. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, that'll do it. You suck all the oxygen out of there, all that debris flying around. <laughs> all right, Cornelius Van Til. Dramatic. Wait, who's that? The guy who said the quote that she put oh, up on. Oh, I see. Cornelius Van Til? Van Til, yeah. Man, that yeah. guy sounds fancy. The result is that the child dies. It was something from some Christian <laughs> publisher, but wow. I mean, the child's going to die anyway. Yeah, you I know, guess. That's part of the whole like deal. It's like an eternal death or something mm. like that. All right, equipping. Wait, so send your kid to public school and they will lose their salvation. Yeah, and wow. they don't buy the argument of having your child be salt to the world. Right. They say your child is not salt yet. Keep mm-hmm. them at home until they're fully baked when they're older. And she'll even tell us, she mentions that like their attitudes towards science solidify by the time they're seven and then their worldview sets in by 13. So she's kind of giving us this like Ugh. due dates. Like This is like cult leader shit. Yeah. Isolate this child until those neural networks are forgotten about and taken for granted. Yeah. Well, I mean, they get the mechanism that you got to yeah. get them early, which is another yeah. one of the E's. <laughs> it is literally early. <laughs> well, then there you have it. <laughs> they said it out loud. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. So she's got a slide about how every area of science what was the word, confirms the Bible 100%. Biology, geology, forensic science. She loves that (laughs) one. I'm surprised microscopy did not get its own separate (laughs) banner. Uh, Biochemistry in in one of the slides. Wait, if science confirms everything, what's your problem? Send the kids to public school. Science confirms everything. But only the good science, not the corrupted Uh, science. Okay. Clearly. But also we don't like science. The opposition has been plotting and creating this brew of false science and doing exactly the kind of mind manipulation that we're doing here, they're doing to the equal and opposite effect, even though we have no evidence of that happening. But would you agree that in her intro, she presented even the idea of science as vaguely bad? That's a good point. She was quibbling with definitions. She was saying the definition of science used to be good. Okay. Now it's bad. It's okay. even that's been corrupted. Okay. But so there, maybe she would say there is some version of science that is worth its salt. Yeah. She'd be like, oh, we love science. Okay. Science is okay. great. Okay. But we need to be teaching science from a biblical worldview. Okay. Okay. Uh, but, okay. I have no, the, a framework for that kind of person. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, the, it's a good distinction, though. And she says, God did not create a tree of life, but an orchard of life. Ooh. Ooh, clap, clap, clap. Oh, very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. good. And she said, you know, you can start this with your kids. Now, finally, she's getting to her talk. (laughs) You can can start this with your kids by talking about origins. Like, this cat is pregnant. What is she going to have? Another kitten. It's going to be a cat, not a duck, right? (laughs) Kids like, mom's off her fucking rocker. (laughs) She gives other examples that are exactly the same example, just with other animals. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what if a dog's pregnant? Uh What if a hippo's pregnant? Uh Great. Uh Good. And then she asks another loaded question that you can feed your kids. Why are marine fossils and seashells found on mountaintops? Because of a worldwide flood. Mm. 
I was immediately thinking, well, what happened to this whole clams can't run thing that all the simpler organisms got buried lowest and first? Why do they get to sometimes creep up higher? Good point. But not the others. And also, what about all the geological movement, which is the, of course, real explanation for why we find that. Science can't explain it. But she insists there. Geology confirms the Bible. So this phrasing of confirms the Bible, I feel, is uh, doing a lot of heavy lifting here. Totally. Because, okay, geology can be made compatible with the Bible if you do all of this work. Yeah. But that's not the same thing as saying it confirms it uh, because there are alternate explanations that are perfectly cogent and more internally consistent. Yeah. And aren't nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She says, uh, provide your children with examples from nature. And it doesn't even have to be a complex organism. Guess what? She thinks kids really love tomatoes. Too many genes. Microscopy. Microscopy. <laughs> get a, you should get a microscope. Uh, kids are always talking about microscopy. Kids l- love to use microscopes. Well, that part's probably true. There were microscopes on our ship at the Galapagos Islands. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And there was like a naturist there who would sit by them oh, and let cool. you put little slides under them and see stuff. It was would, cool. Would you say that Carrie loves microscopy? Um, I thought it was cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't like. This is why I went on a honeymoon. But I liked it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. She was saying, you know, you can look at a butterfly wing under a microscope. That's true. Or pond water. Mm -hmm. Though, you know, wait. Anything small. Wait to find a dead butterfly. Don't. uh, Great. Good advice. Don't make one. For your oh, microscope. Wow. We're really talking simple, aren't we? Just throwing that out there. No, no, that's oh, uh, me. That that's my you. advice. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. No, it's a good it's a good tip. <laughs> In case anybody gets inspired. Yeah, I want to look at a butterfly wing. And I have a friend who's a butterfly. And she said you can just look at the stars together. God spoke that on day four. Which, again, I always think is one of the most embarrassing things in the literal (laughs) six-day creation is that he waited until day four to create the sun, the moon, and all the other lights, which are the vast majority of the universe. Yeah, but it's all for us, baby. A little afterthought. Yeah, totally. And you can talk about how our planet is just perfectly located and the right size and all of that. And you can talk about the orderliness of nature and the fact that we have logic. All of these things require a designer. And it's such a one-sided conversation with the kids. I got to hear it in little snippets around the arc. Parents teaching this to their children. Mm. And it was always just such a... Here, let me force this on you. Oh, right. How were the kids responding? It was, it was never like a dialogue. Like they were always quiet on the receiving end. I don't, oh, uh-huh. I don't feel like it, it invites engagement uh-huh. to present information this way. Yeah, it's a little too evangelical. Uh-huh. You know, to your own kids. Thought stopping cliche. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, like I noticed constantly. Like they would raise one of these questions. Like science doesn't know X. But it was never like you would hear a Neil deGrasse Tyson or a Bill Nye follow up with like, you may be the one to figure this out to the kids. Oh, right, right. That never happened. Like, if anything, it was like, well, that's a good reason to stop doing science. Right, right. I feel like to this crowd, science and new scientific findings are something to be looked at with trepidation and a little peril. You know, it's like, uh oh, what's this? What do we need to do? Something to control. How are we going to fit this in our mold? Yeah, that's a bummer. Although I keep having the thought, at least so many of these kids will just grow up with the internet and one day they'll be pissed at mom and dad and they'll just look this stuff up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 
the way it's been presented is very easy to knock down. She's a little aware of this, too. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, <laughs> she also tells us that hair microscopy confirms that animals are different. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> no shit. What? Hair microscopy confirms animals are different? Meaning, yeah, they were independently created from us. But don't worry, I've, I've got a whole class from her on this. Okay. So we'll get into oh, hair. Okay, okay. We'll get into hair. Great. I do love the movie Hair. <laughs> I have not seen the movie Oh, hair. whoa. Neither is Drew. You and Drew should watch Hair. Okay. Oh, and she has a whole thing about biochemistry and about how there are only two options, XX and XY. Okay, great. And great, great. my inner Carrie was like, ah, ah. <laughs> Hang on, this is important. And <laughs> glossing over something that has traumatic political impact. Okay, then she talks about the E for early. You've got to teach them to defend. And this is another verse that gets trotted out all the time. First Peter 3.15. Mm, all... Always be prepared to have a reason for the faith yeah, that you have. You got it. Yep. Man, that was still in there. Nice. See, you can tell the kind of verses I felt compelled mm-hmm. to memorize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should grow. And when he is old, he will, he will not, not depart, depart from, from it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't memorize that one because I was like, it's too late for me. I was not raised up as I should have been. And here's church camp. Totally, totally. And here's an exact quote from the slide. Children are not good thinkers. In parentheses, <laughs> wow. Jeremiah 422. Actually. <laughs> I would love it if that's what Jeremiah 422 says. <laughs> you go there and it's just like, children, they dumb. From the ESV. For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise, quote unquote, in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. That's not even about kids. It's being... not. It's comparing stupid people to stupid children. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, okay, that was just the beginning of the slide. They don't have good reasons for their beliefs. They act foolishly and immorally due to their inherited sin nature. But as they grow up, they should gain wisdom and knowledge and put away childishness. Biblically speaking, this is the purpose of education. Okay. That's from a 2022 book, I'm assuming, by one of their... Oh, yeah, I think I recognize this name as one of their authors. Anyways, whoo, that's dim. I'm shocked by just, like, how much this is not about the thing it's supposed to be about. There's very little of what it's supposed to be about. Uh, so then she talks about the limited number of days that you have to inculcate your children with all of this. And so she kind of does the math. She looks at like different states have different required number of days that you have to teach your children. But but on average, we're talking like 170 days per year. So you've only got 2,210 days to teach your kids. And then she lets us know about how the worldviews kind of set in by like seven, the attitude towards science, 13, the worldview. Is that accurate? Or is your... uh, I didn't I didn't like yeah. check. It sounds right-ish. Yeah. You know, yeah. It sounds it, about the right age for those attitudes. It seems possible that, yeah, we could, we could sort of predict how science-y you're going to get by about then. But And she says, you know, don't worry. Like, you don't need to reinvent all of this. We've got books for you. So mm. she, she recommends God's Design for Science which is a curriculum from Masterbooks, one of the approved okay. vendors here. Finally, some instruction. So by that, she lists some of the Ken Ham books that I had just bought like the previous day. And then, of course, there's an E for engaging. You need to be active and engaged. And nowadays, you can look things up so quickly on your phone, so you've got no excuse to not know answers. Yes, by all means, go look for scientific <laughs> yeah, information really? on the internet, parents. Did she give any Google tips? Like, you should be... Like, Google this, but also write Christian, also write ham. Surprise 
surprisingly not. Huh. Yeah. You, you think she would be like, make sure to start with answers in Genesis. Yeah, or like, be sure to write the word Christian, because if you just look up, I don't know, evolution tomatoes, you're right. probably not going to get this material. Right. Yeah, actually, huh. you think some pro Google tips to yeah. get the approved answers would be in the talk, but no. Yeah, huh. Okay, and then, of course, the last and most important E that we've worked our way up to yes. is eternal. We need to guide our children to eternal life. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We, as parents, are responsible for the soul of our child. And Damn. the Bible has to be at the foundation in every area, but especially science, because at some point in their life, they're going to be confronted with the secular narrative. And here we go. She says, two-thirds of youths abandon faith. Wow. She says, I've seen it so many times, yeah. and I warned them. And I thought of your story of, I think it was your youth pastor who kind of looked around at all of you and said, like, you know, a lot of you are going to leave the church. Oh, that wasn't that, me. That wasn't you. Maybe that was Alice. I had this mental image of you. But it's the kind of thing that they'll say and point to everybody. And you're like, oh, well, now I know that's an option. Right, right. Oh, and that I wouldn't even be in the minority if I did it. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, that might backfire on you, lady. Yeah. If you're telling all of your students, two thirds of you will betray me. Yeah. Just like Jesus to the 12. One of you will betray me. Yeah, like, Scientology would never do that. You're right. That's like if Jesus said nine of you will be (laughs) at the last supper Uh, if three of you who can say are gonna (laughs) gonna be carrying this on for a while it will be lonely and you'll look silly uh might have had the opposite effect that she was intending there might have been a bunch of kids they're like oh i guess it's all right then if i so are you gonna because i'm gonna you want to blow this joint any knowing glances being exchanged In the audience. Wow, that's so interesting. But the way she saw this coming across is that she, as a science teacher, is powerless to do this all on her own. She can only teach so much. You need to start this at home with the biblically-based science education. Wow. And okay, and so it is the parents' fault if the kid goes astray. Yeah. I mean, if there wasn't already enough pressure on parents to keep their kids in the fold, this certainly dials that dial up. I remember when my college boyfriend, who I know I've mentioned a lot, when he left his childhood faith, he called his mom and she cried and cried and Mm, cried. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough for both of my parents. Yeah. Probably Uh, still is because they both believe. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and they're always dropping little hints, verses. That's them. Yeah. Um, Now, you had Andrew. Well, Kara had Andrew. When you were still Christians. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any fear about, oh, my God, if I leave, I won't be raising Andrew up and maybe he'll go to hell. I feel like that thought came after I'd already kind of worked out, oh, I don't think hell's real. Okay. So, yeah, if the ordering of that had changed, that probably would have been a problem. But I, I do remember kind of defining elements of my parenting in terms of my faith. Yeah. Uh, there was a song at the time, I want to be just like you. Because he wants to be just like me. Mm. Help me be a holy example. Mm. 
for his innocent eyes to see. And that was Aww. like, you know, one of my motivations to be a good example and a parent. And Aww. it's like, well, that's gone. That's so, really sweet. Yeah. yeah. So, so it affected me in that but way. But now Andrew is going to hell. I just want to make that clear for you. Well, he'll be in good company. <laughs> yeah, you're going. So that that was it for teaching science that from the biblical worldview. That was it. That all felt like prologue. The past is prologue. Oh my God, I need this woman to send me her slideshow. I can <laughs> fix this. Okay, you heard it here. Carrie will help you. Yeah, I will. Dr. Rivera. I know that I will. I know that if you send that to me, I'm going to do it. She thanked us for not going to Up in Flames because that was... A, better named. Another session happening upstairs in the big hall, the big main hall that was open to everybody. Uh, so that was like fire demonstrations. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the different people then were presenting the uh, water class, but it was kind of in that sure, same... Sure, fire and water. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, they're covering the basic elements. Okay. Uh, so I caught a little bit of the last of that. And uh, it was Mr. P. Everyone kept talking about Mr. P. He's so great. <laughs> yeah. Short for Patterson. Roger Patterson. Wow. He has a uh, series with these folks called Unlocking Science. What if someone showed up thinking it would be Robert Pattinson? That's funny. I initially thought of the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot footage. Oh, okay. Different Patterson. But yeah. Right. I thought of Twilight. Fair. What kind of shoes was this lady wearing? Probably black. Oh, yeah. Because all her clothes were black. Yeah. Yeah. Black shoes, Cadillac, yeah. But they didn't stick out to you, the shoes? No, because Psh. they weren't Rothies. I bet she wasn't even wearing Rothies. I'd only remember them if they were Rothies. Absolutely. Whoa, whoa, hang on. What? Now that we're already talking about Rothies, that's reminding me. Rothies is actually a sponsor of this episode. No, oh, that's an interesting coincidence. Yeah. Hey, actually, look at me. I'm wearing oh, he really is. my Rothies. And I, they're black. I went to work today. I was wearing a nice button-up shirt nice. and some slacks. And I thought, let's look it's fancy nice. today. I'm riding my bike in my Rothy's. Nice. Yeah. And, They're handsome uh, shoes. They sure are. Boy, they put some spring into your step. With sustainably made flats and bags in every bright color imaginable, you'll be re-energizing your looks in no time with Rothy's. Yeah, they're super comfortable. I led an hour-long tour today. Oh, wow. Showing people around. Didn't super comfortable. Didn't even think about your shoes. Didn't even know I had feet the whole time. <laughs> Wow. I mean, the thought yeah, didn't good. enter my mind. Yeah. You know what? You're right. That's what you want. Uh -huh. You want shoes that make you forget you have feet. And those <laughs> shoes are Rothy's. Rothy's has dozens of options for color-rich wardrobe staples you can feel good about wearing. And from Rothy's iconic lightweight tote to fan mm. favorite shoes like the flat, the point, and the all-new almond loafer, mm. find an irresistible range of hues designed to make you smile. And Rothy's are made to last. All styles are machine washable, so they keep looking great all year long. I know you're excited. You want to go check these shoes out. I do. So for stylish and comfortable shoes, shop Rothy's. Get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash oh no. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash oh no. Dripping with import, your words are, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it's because I'm wearing one of my favorite bras, so I'm comfortable. You've got support. You don't even mm -hmm. know you have boobs. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. And That's you know, what you want a bra to do. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be thinking about my boobs while I'm reading copy. And you know, most bras suck. Yeah. Most bras suck. I bet it's a real bummer. Yeah, that's what this copy says. Most bras suck. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I very nearly sign off on this. Okay. It's hard to find a good bra you like. And it's a real bummer. But Third Love knows it's not you. It's the bra. Nothing's ever your fault. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, you, s- some some bras poke you. They yep. they scratch you. They yes. slip right off your shoulder. Yep. They have those little tags that want to dig into your skin. You oh. got the tiniest little mole or skin tag or pimple or something, and your bra's like, I just want to find that, and I want to dig in right there and let you know about this little imperfection in you. They, <laughs> they make themselves known. They leave lines in your clothing. Mm-hmm. Those are terrible bras, but not third love. And if you're looking for an everyday bra, something, I don't know, maybe you want more coverage. Maybe you want an unlined style. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want extra lift or maybe you want all of the above well third love's best-selling bras have a style for every solution and they're designed to make you look and feel great in whatever you're wearing this is interesting your bra size can change over six times throughout your life Mm -hmm. you know what that makes sense yeah Third Love makes it easy to find your perfect bra size with their virtual fitting room, which has helped over 20 million people find their perfect fit. But listen, ditch bad bras. That's the point here. You get a better one that makes you look and feel great when you upgrade your bra at Third Love. Get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash oh no. Whoa, that's 20% off your first order today at thirdlove.com slash oh no. Okay, so speaking of homeschooling, oh wait, hold on, what's this? Oh, the dove has come back. Oh, hello, cuckoo. We released this quite a few episodes ago. It's come back with not an olive branch, but It's me, the dove. Come here, dove. Okay. My name's May. Uh, hi, May. Okay. Mm, so I've got a little message for you. Mm, thank you. You okay. married? Uh, no, I, I got the message. I think you're good now, May. You can go back All right. wherever you I came from. I love you so much. Thank you, May. But, okay, bye. 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 I'm single. Goodbye. Bye. Well, that was inappropriate. Wow, what a, what what a pushy strange dove. strange dove. But she did leave this message for us. Okay. And, uh, oh, yeah. oh it looks like say? it's a jumbotron. Oh, good. I'm sure it will make sense. Okay. So this is from Tom Reader, and it is for Tommy Hyacinthus Garcia. Tommy, 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 Tommy. 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 Tommy, 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 Tommy. Tommy, Tommy. Tommy, 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 Tommy. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Can't wait for our next adventure. Love you. This is what you can do with the Jumbotron, people. This is what you can make happen. Look at the power you have. (laughs) We still get to approve, and this was on the bubble. (laughs) But we did it. The Tommies have been... Tommied. Yeah. So I I think the idea here, and let's really analyze... I think they're both named Tom, and that's an active feature oh, of their relationship. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's my guess. I was thinking like, Tommy, 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 Leon. Oh, interesting. I thought, Ba-bum, Tommy, can you hear me? But I'm sure Tommy hears that all the time. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Message has been delivered. Thank you to the uh, lovesick pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like, I mean, do you think that was the one that Tesla... Wasn't Tesla the one who like fell in love with a pigeon? What? No. Who was the one who fell in love with the pigeon? No, you're probably right. I've just not heard this. I think that's right. One of our guys, one of our weird scientists who's like brilliant but strange, fell in love with a pigeon. And I think it was Tesla. It's a strange world we live in, Carrie. (laughs) Okay. So Wednesday, I got up in my little hotel room. I got to go back. 
Yeah. Because I have a 9.30 a.m. class called Teaching Students with Diverse Learning Needs. Oh, boy. And I got over there. It was a busy day. Uh, A lot of people were waiting in line for the bus. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be late. Mm -hmm. So I was like nine minutes late. But they were just getting started. Diverse learning needs. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear that, I think uh, we're going to talk about teaching children who maybe are neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. That's what I associate this title with. Yeah. So uh, the teacher was Heather Jenkins. And uh, it was a small audience, like a dozen people, maybe. Oh, wow. Like, okay. I think maybe even less. To be fair, this was one of the classes that they offered many times. Oh, okay. So like kind of if you weren't able to get one of the other things, oh, you can catch one of these sessions of teaching students with diverse learning needs. So I'm sure many people got it at some point. And, you know, I'm going to breeze through this one because it was actually fairly sensible. Okay. Like it was mostly good advice. If you're teaching kids creationism. Yeah, but like uh, Heather Jenkins, certainly all of the examples were biblical concepts Mm. of things you could teach. But she was talking about just teaching modalities and uh, being adaptive. And she never called out any particular learning disability. Mm. Just mostly was talking about how you need to be aware that kids learn in different ways. It's an experimental process, kind of like you were talking about with differential diagnosis that like you Mm. sort of try this thing for a while then you try this other thing Mm. maybe try this Mm. you know whatever works for you yeah Mm. exactly respond to feedback and she was very upbeat and positive and and one thing i noticed in this talk was that she never named the enemy like she there was no conspiratorial aspect to it Mm. where like they're trying to get you and Mm. they're trying to insert this and you need to fight against that or you need to inoculate your children it was all just you know like this is another good way to teach your children you can do this she just seemed very easygoing i thought if i needed to have a creationist mom Mm-hmm. It would be Heather Jenkins. You'd swap out yours for this woman because you had a creationist mom. <laughs> yeah. She was a teacher, but she didn't spend a lot of time teaching me. Oh, and look what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. As if parents don't blame themselves enough already for their <laughs> kids living faith. And, and, you know, she had these uh, nice little aw shucks kind of introductions like, oh, has anyone here had uh, somebody come to them and tell them you have to teach your child with this new system I just learned? Mm. And they were all like, oh, yeah, no, new math. we know that. We <laughs> yeah. know about new math. Or just like fad learning in general. Mm. She said also very sensible. We can't just present info to our children and expect them to absorb it immediately. Uh, that's just not how we sure. humans work. She was talking about brains and how they're complicated. And, you know, she said scientists don't fully understand how the brain works, but it wasn't like, a, aha, nor tomatoes. Oh, right, it right, was right. just sort of a, <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, it's complicated. Yeah, we, yeah. we don't fully understand it. Yeah. So like, so far I was like, that's a real and breath of fresh air. You never get to the end of learning, do you? Right, right. She'd be on board with that. Mm-hmm. She also made good points about how, you know, like, have you ever tried teaching a kid who's hungry mm-hmm. or distracted? Maybe they just realized that the seam on their sock is not properly aligned. Mm-hmm. And like you could, you could really picture all these little examples she was giving and like, yeah, yeah, I'm relating to you. Yes, go on. And she said, well, you know, give them a snack then. It's, you know, oh, let yeah. them. And she had like a little chart. Let them choose if they want to go. She kept using the teepee as an example. Maybe not the best one, but, you know, maybe you've got a little teepee where they like to hang out. Maybe they want to go there for mm. a while or sit on the tire outside or, you mm-hmm. know, like change up the location or maybe sit in a new position. You know, these are ways to maybe re-energize sure. them and uh, get them involved. Sure. So like, you know, I was ready to go sell this woman books but then then of course she started getting into the jesus stuff and she said jesus is 
the perfect teacher. Mm. And my immediate thought was, oh, yeah, mm. parables. Really good. I was just thinking that. Really good teaching. As Julia Sweeney said, why do you teach in parables then? <laughs> Even your staff doesn't understand them. Right, right. And then you get to be elitist about it. Like, oh, for he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You must be an outsider. This isn't for you. Right, right. If you think I'm not making any sense, it's on you, crazy cool. person. Uh, so, okay, I wasn't buying that premise. But her example was that Jesus used familiar objects and situations when teaching, and she went way too long, like, giving lists of pretty much all his parables. Like, well, he talked about, like, fig trees. Yeah, seeds growing on the ground Mm. or being snatched up. Other things that people have, you know, ready analogies to, you know, for their time and place. Okay, sure. So she was talking about ways that we can do that, you know, like, find something that they understand. You know, children learn best when they move from concrete to representational to abstract. Hmm. I wonder if that's true. I don't know. Yeah, the CRA instructional model. Yeah, she mentioned Mm. a few things and I I didn't go hunt them down to be like, is this acceptable like modality? Exactly. Mm. But I mean, they seemed cogent on the face of it. Yeah, sure. It didn't call up any big red flags. One of them that might have was Howard Gardner, Theory of Multiple Intelligences. But even this seemed like a good way to break things down. She said children can think either like logically or mathematically or learn well that way. And then uh, visual spatial. I was like, oh, uh, okay, that's me uh-huh. too. Verbal, linguistic, bodily, kinesthetic, musical, uh, right. rhythmic. I have heard this before. Yeah. yeah. I've I heard, don't know. I've heard like narrower categories for that, like kinesthetic learning. And I've mm-hmm. heard that kind of debunked. This was a slightly different, bigger model that had like yeah. nine different modalities. I know styles of learning are all a whole point of contention. But it wasn't presented as, first of all, like a mutually exclusive sort of thing. You could could be a soup of multiple ones. Mm -hmm. And they were more prompts to kind of give kids different ways of interacting with information. Yeah. And she had a bunch of little kind of toys and tools on the table with her and also pictures on her slides of like, you can use these hoops and you can put things in different circles to help organize them. And, you know, she's using examples like the seven seas of creation and you can like take things and put them in the different days. So trees, where do we put that over here in this hoop? Or you can use them as Venn diagrams. So, you know, it's like fine modalities and good ideas Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, these Christian examples. But again, not in any strident fashion. It was just, yeah, it was all all just very positive. I I like this person. Here are some things to think about. She described the things that the kids can kind of get their hands on, like the hoops or these links that she had or these building blocks. She called them manipulatives. Okay. And that's defined as any object that a student can interact with and manipulate. Dominoes was a favorite example. And she said, this can teach cause and effect. So you can show, see, I push this and it knocks over these. Just like sin leads to the flood. Nope. (laughs) I was with you with dominoes. I kept thinking like, okay, you got me in the, you lost me real quick, but Mm -hmm. yeah, you got me again. So uh, this was a constant refrain. Uh, I noted at one point a baby started crying. And if that would have happened in my classroom, I would have kind of stopped and waited for it. And she just kept going, not phased at all mm. i don't know oh I w- you would have stopped and waited for the baby to stop crying well i would i would be distracted enough that i wouldn't be able to keep my line of thought oh and I, I, see. I was just impressed like oh like she didn't miss a beat oh yeah okay i know other gotcha. people can do that i, I just, thought you meant you'd like stop and be like all right someone stop the baby, baby. <laughs> yeah no i'd just be like oh i can't think right now i need to wait gotcha gotcha she did mention that there's a really good cube 
that you can use to teach the seven C's of history, which is, you know, from this ministry, they have their seven C's of history. A seven-sided cube? <laughs> okay, you, you anticipated my question. So yeah. I raised my hand and said, I'm sorry, now I'm just curious. <laughs> how do you? Put, I must interject. How do you put the seven C's on a six-sided cube? I must know. And she said, oh, well, you should look up the video we have on Answers.TV with Brian Osborne, he of the Bible Motions. Ah, yes. And uh, so Mr. Boring. I did <laughs> I did look this up later, but the guy sitting next to me knew about this and he leaned over and said, "It's an infinity cube." And I said, "Ah, but I have no idea what an infinity cube is." <laughs> so, I looked this up later. I looked up the video of Brian Osborne. I can show it to you. All you- I know is if it's a cube, it's got six sides. <laughs> so, I have seen these things before, but I did not know them as infinity cubes. Does it open? Yeah, you got it. Yep. So that's what's going on. So it Uh, is a grid of interconnected blocks. So there's eight blocks and then they're connected by printed paper that's kind of glued on the surfaces such that you can open the cube and reveal these little tableaus with the seven seas of creation. Some are on the outside, some are on the inside. Got a very magic trick kind of feel. Yeah. So it it all works out. She had a little critical thinking exercise that you could run with your kid, like maybe show them this picture of two fossils of fish, like a bigger fish and a little fish inside. What do you notice about it? And she had the audience kind of chime in with ideas. And uh, my contribution was uh, because they were all kind of talking about this in terms of one fish eating the other fish. And I said, maybe the fish are just stacked on top of each other instead of one having eaten the other. Mm. Very good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then I wanted a snack. Maybe one fish grew around the other. Whoa. Yeah. Very wise. Maybe Jesus multiplied mm. one of the fishes, flopped it around. Whoa. Whoa. Now we're getting going. Thinking outside of the box. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff just reminded me of our friend Zeke, who's a v- oh, yeah. very involved parent and yeah, puts so much work into structuring lessons for her daughter Sagan yeah. and uh, I'm always impressed by it and I thought oh this is the kind of stuff she does just constantly looking for new things trying them so it seemed like the same type of character but uh, from a different uh, perspective sure Zeke uh, Ross thinks you're like the creationist lady give us your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> yes that was the takeaway <laughs> So anyway, if if I had a young child, I think I would have been even more engaged. Like, well, yeah, I'll try that. That sounds good. Aww, oh, okay. I like this little decision board. That's cool. You know, where you can let them try to gamify it or build it or write it or create it or mold it. You know, this is all pretty fun. So cool. I, I was down for most of it. She said. Great conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I went. And at the end, she told the parents like, eh, don't worry. I know this is a lot. Uh, try things one at a time. What you think might work. Give it a couple weeks. If it doesn't work, try something different. But the last and most important thing is to pray for your child. Oh, okay. And pray for your homeschool. Okay. All right. Sure. Easy peasy. And she had a verse, a Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Fruit of the loom. Wait, fruit of the loom? Fruit of the womb. Oh, that's where fruit of the loom came from. Do you think so? Well, yeah, because it rhymes. Maybe. Because why else would you say fruit of the loom? Because the loom is where you put the cotton and this is what came out of it. Yeah, but why have that phrase unless it's just making a little joke on fruit of the womb? Maybe. I think it's still a poetic phrase. Please write us about this. (laughs) 
why do they call it Haynes? And she recommended ABC Homeschool. Okay. That's one I'd heard about in at least one other session. That's one of these approved... uh, Always be Christian. Curricula. But I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that sounds appropriate. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I was like, oh, that was thoroughly pleasant. So I'm going to call that my favorite session just in terms of like, if I were a homeschooling parent, I would have felt I got something useful out of this. Okay. ABC Schoolhouse Burbank's best preschool program. That's not it. All Burbank children. Huh. I don't know where she's getting this, to be honest. Oh, I saw it around on the floor. Oh, it is at AnswersInGenesis.org. So there we go. That's their own homespun, homeschool Bible curriculum. Okay, so the ABC doesn't stand for anything then. Answers Bible Curriculum. Answers Bible Curriculum. I like always be Christian. Yeah, no, I think think that's good. And KSW. Keep. Scientology working. Oh, is that what they say? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, woof. That's funny. They actually make uh, ABC Mouse. That's uh, another learning software from Scientologists. Anyways, so, all right, on to my next ticketed event. Crap. Horticulture and Greenhouse Tour. Ooh, cool. Yeah. It'd be like living off the land at Epcot. I had to kind of quickly get out and go to the Ark because we were going to meet at the stern of the Ark, Mm -hmm. and there were buses there. Mm -hmm. So I got on bus number two. On my ticket, it said that Kim Smith would be leading this, but there was some lady with a name tag that said Mary Jo. Oh, no. And she seemed perfectly friendly, but she wasn't Kim Smith. Ugh. I was a little tempted to uh, ditch this and go to Scripture Sleuths, Mm. but I knew I had a ticket. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go do the greenhouse tour. And I'm glad I did. Okay. So uh, eventually we left off on the bus and we rode around for about 10 minutes. It's a big property. And we learned just how big. Oh, 10 minutes just on the Ark property. Wow. Yeah, just kind of uh, slowly. Um, uh-huh. Making our way through rocky ground. This wasn't That's like big. paved road, but yeah, uh, yeah. it was big. So we're told that they own 800 acres. Whoa. Oh, I had no idea this was so big. They okay. bought up a lot. And they're only currently using 200 acres right now. Okay. So Ken Ham has a 20-year vision, and they only opened mm. in 2016. I'm getting uh, deja vu for the Raelians. That's so funny. I was just going to mention that. That's yeah, like embassy. when the Elohim are supposed to return, like 2035? Oh, that's not even what I was thinking of. I was just thinking, I don't know, the grand vision oh. of, oh, this is what's coming. I mean, everybody has to blueprint things, but there's, I don't know, something metaphysical about this. Well, now I'm even more impressed that we independently thought of yeah, the railings for definitely. two different reasons. So they mentioned uh, that their newest building is going to be this indoor carousel. That's the one right next Ooh. door, right in between the answer center and that VR traveler place with the POD. Okay. And they say that the carousel is currently being built in Italy uh, with, wow. with new kinds for the, for the <laughs> animals. Mm. And, and this was kind of cool. Apparently they're building the carousel so that most of the mechanisms will be under the floor, meaning the the level mm. of the spinning platform will be even with the ground to make it wheelchair accessible. Oh, cool. I was okay. like, hey, I'm into it. Yeah, nice. So as we were riding along this bumpy road, uh, she pointed out some buildings that were close to being done. And she said those are going to be uh, seasonal staff housing. Okay. Makes sense. It's a little far away from everything else. So if your staff might be easier to live on campus, so they're going to try to make it reasonably priced. And after the first building is done, they've got two more planned. 
Okay. So yeah, turning into quite the compound. How many people work for the Ark? Do we know? Oh, that's a good question. I would be I would be speculating. Okay. Uh, that might be something though that's worth digging into for. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna have an episode where we dig into uh, some of these fun behind the scenes stories about kind of the the legal wranglings yeah, and Museum of the Bible and all kinds of other sort of fun stories uh, about the Ark. So don't worry, we got other fun stuff coming. Okay, so finally we stop, get off the bus, and now, now I get to meet Kim Smith. Okay. We all get together in front of uh, some greenhouses, and they are all named Sheila. All the greenhouses are? Yeah, so you've got like Sheila 1, Sheila 2, Sheila 6, Sheila 7. Okay, is that the name of Ken Ham's wife, Ken Ham's daughter, Ken Ham's dog? Very good guess. It was one of their volunteers slash donors. Oh, interesting. Who was 70 plus years old. Okay. And a hard worker. Okay. So they named all the greenhouses after Sheila. That's sweet. Oh, by the way, as we were driving, we passed a fake deer and it had a bunch of holes in it because it gets used as target practice. Oh. Yeah. And I asked if that was with arrows or guns. <laughs> and they said, probably mostly arrows, but we wouldn't be surprised. Oh. Yeah. I didn't expect that. Uh, okay, so now we're uh, in front of the greenhouses, and she tells us how many plants they're growing, like fifty to 60,000 per year. Wow. Including 14,000 summer annuals. Uh, so their goal is to grow all of the plants they use at the Ark on their own. Uh, okay, that's what I was going to ask. So you mean for their food, right? Well, for feeding the animals, for sure. And I asked oh, about okay. I asked about human food, and they're like, ah, it's trickier. There's a lot more scrutiny if you're yeah. growing food for humans. You can give animals whatever shit you want. Um, Okay, so for the zoo, Mm -hmm. that's what it would be for. Okay, got it. Yeah, and they were talking about which kinds of plants they've used and which were more efficient. I want to say barley ended up being like the best animal feeder, like Mm. in terms of how much you get calorie-wise out of it. Mm, Okay. I wish our listeners could see Ross's notes. Very tiny writing on, like, what do you call this? It's like a, a artist's pad. pad. Yeah, yeah, there's no lines. Oh, yeah. Ross doesn't like to be boxed in. So they go every. Well, it's just I end up with a lot of sketchbooks, and then I go on investigations. Like, quick, quick, I got to grab something I can write on. This makes is what sense. I have. Yeah, makes I, sense. I'm fine Checks with lines. Out. I'm fine. Yeah. They, they grow quite a few things. Like, they have a hydroponic system. Uh, that is where they grow their barley, but they also have uh, grass that they can grow in six to 10 days. And it was very impressive looking grass. I would want to eat it if I were an animal. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyways, they, they had kind of like a, a very efficient system and they were very proud of it. And she's just showing this off. And they said, this is the first time we've made this tour. I think oh, whoa. they scheduled this conference and they're like, well, what do we do with all these people? They yeah. want to do stuff. Yeah. And so they came up with this greenhouse tour and I was like, part of it feels like Oh, what can we do? What can we throw at these people? And part of it feels like this is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I, I like would it. go on that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was digging it. Oh, here's their uh, secret sauce. They pray over their plant material. Oh, that'll do it. That's why it's so good. I feel like Sheila's hard work is probably going to pay off more, but <laughs> you can focus yourself through prayer if you want to. Uh, so anyways, they grow a lot of stuff here. Uh, they save a lot of money that way. Uh, They even have some fish because they've got this whole like fertilizer cycle thing going on. Uh Right now it's koi. They're hoping to eventually raise tilapia so that they can use it in the restaurant. I see, boo. Because they are not vegetarians like Noah. Uh, There was a little redheaded boy who had a massive tantrum. Oh, really? Yeah, he didn't want to take his jacket off. He was not having it. (laughs) But his parent felt it was too warm in there or? Uh, We were outside, but actually it was quite warm. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, they also grow wheat and rye. Uh, romaine. Yeah, it was it was cool. Like a nice mm-hmm. facility. Cool. You've been to Epcot, right? To there, not inside the dome. Uh, not inside the dome. Okay, but you've been to Future World. I've been to like uh, all the different countries. Okay, that's the that's the part other people seem to like the most, but I think the best part is on the other side, Future World. Okay, I was only there for part of a day, so oh, I didn't catch everything. We loved it, but there's a ride called Living with the Land where you just oh. go through um, what you're describing. Yeah, that's cool. And we went on it and I loved it so much. And then the next day we got on a tram and there was this dad and his daughter sitting behind us and the dad goes what do you guys want to do today and all the kids are naming rides and this one little girl was so quiet but she had this knowing smile on her face okay he looked at her and he said oh you want to go on that plant ride again don't you and i was like oh my sister i'll take her yeah (laughs) i'll go back on the plant i'm a stranger but i swear i'll give her back (laughs) i like it so i'll just mention on the way back Uh, We heard a story about Ken Ham and them bringing him a plant that they uh, put in his office, like a potted plant in a tree. Uh, He realized there were snakes in the like the pot. Oh, my God. And he said, get these out of my office because he does not like snakes. Go figure. Yeah. And there was they found six of them in there. They, they were garter snakes, you know, oh, okay. you know small, good. harmless little snakes. Uh, but there were also six more eggs found in that same pot. Oh my God. So, yeah, he was not happy about yeah, that. Yeah, I feel him. Okay, wow. I mean, if someone told me they are safe snakes, I could calm down my reaction. Okay. But, uh, but that's nerve wracking. Uh, so I think Ken Ham maybe shares your phobia there. Yeah. Uh, but it seems fitting for him. Sure, because of uh, Satan. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That was my horticulture and greenhouse tour. Clap, 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 clap. Okay, but it's time to go back to Dr. Jennifer Rivera because we've got forensic hair microscopy. Oh, good. Let's find out what this is about. So she's obsessed with hair? Yeah, well, microscopes. But yeah, she thinks that, um, yeah, hair has a lot to say about God's creation. Sure. Okay, let's hear it. All right. So for this class, we got to go in a new space, which is their lab. Okay. And uh, this one was packed. We had about 40 people in here, and that was all the seats they had around these lab tables, just like you remember from science class, where you've got like that black chemically treated Uh countertop and the spigots that have the ridges on them so you can connect stuff to them. Anyways, it was real fancy like. And then we found out later this was also new, like brand Mm. new lab and brand new microscopes oh good we were the first to use them oh that's cool because we beat out that stupid other group that had signed up first right so yeah we had some brand new microscopes and at first everybody was just kind of milling about and talking to each other and i I was kind of toward the back because i found the desk there had a power plug on it i was like yes because every day by the end of all of my photo taking and lecture listening and internet usage my phone was always like at one percent when i got back to the hotel and so i was like yes juice finally anyways i was in the back and finally they call us to order there's this young woman that comes out and uh, she was dressed again all in black black hat black shirt black pants And a very, like, military presence to her. Mm -hmm. And she kind of sort of barked orders at us in the same sort of way, like, did you just come out of boot camp or something? (laughs) Oh, weird. Okay. What's her name? She didn't introduce herself, but her name was Corey. You're right. 
We're looking at her tag. Photography. So yeah, cool. Whoa. Almost as cool whoa. as microscopy. <laughs> so she called out in her stentorian voice, uh, welcome to the brand new facilities. Now we, we knew we needed to stop talking to each other and pay attention because Dr. Jennifer Rivera was going to teach us about hair microscopy. Good. So this discipline falls under trace analysis. And uh, okay. she, she seems to consider herself like a real forensic scientist. And she'll talk about what we do at crime scene. So I, I mm. wonder, I, mm. I didn't get any indication okay. that she had actually worked on active crime scenes. But okay. I'm going to take her at her word for it for now without having found any support that she's actively, you know, worked on crime scenes. Did she say that she had? No, she would just like. just felt like that was sort of the would, unspoken principle. She would make those kind of statements. And when we're investigating fingerprints mm. or, you know, mm, okay. uh, it's very rare that we get a match uh, from hair, you know, like mm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. She would just make it sound like, yeah. okay, are you referring to the collective or your actual yeah, experience? Right. It could, yeah, it could be a permissible use, but I see the problem, yeah. Anyway, so this discipline falls under trace analysis involving okay. things that you can't see with the naked eye. It uh, makes sense. And that to learn more about them, you need a... Microscope. Oh, you get it. You got it. <laughs> uh, so, of course, we always, in any subject, we start with God's word. And uh, she gives us the verse from Luke where it says that even the hairs on our head are numbered. Mm, True. And she says, you lose about 100 hairs a day. And that's just normal. And the average human has between 90,000 and 150,000 hairs. But at every moment of the day... God knows exactly how many hairs we have. That's how much he cares for us. Okay. Yeah. And I always think- He's not doing much with this info. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, okay. And all right. So he helps us find our keys and <laughs> right. get good parking spots, but he also lets a lot of people die and mm-hmm. be abused. Okay. This is a- Two thirds of your children will go to hell, but God is counting their hair. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a, a weird focus he has, but okay. I was kind of surprised that she didn't bring up a verse like Job 36, 24 in the King James. It says, remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Mm, that would have been smart. See, I, I would have used that. It. Yep. You're welcome to that. They need us. Dr. Rivera. Right? Yeah. I thought that would have been quite clever. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Well, staying in the Bible theme. When did God create human and animal hair? Day two? Day whatever day made humans? Day <laughs> yeah. one? Day, day two? Well, day six. Day six? And he also made oh. most of the animals. So that would have been the like obvious answer for this crowd like day six. But she points out on day five, God made the flying things, and that would include bats. And so okay. uh, hair would have actually yeah. been created on day five. So true. So true. Mammals. And then I was just busy kind of staring off thinking, oh, do sugar gliders count as day five or day six? <laughs> I'm so confused now. Um, yeah. What about like the kiwi? It's got that kind of hairy stuff on it. That count? Yeah. And she tried to differentiate later between fur and hair. I guess hair just keeps growing. Fur is uh, more for thermal regulation. Anyways. Got to wonder about kiwis. Mm-hmm. Good question. Uh, well, speaking of which, by the way, this is a good moment to correct that Ray Comfort is not an Australian. Oh, he's New Zealander. He's a New Zealander. He's, yeah, a, he's okay. a kiwi. Okay, so got it. I apologize to everybody. To Ray Comfort. Uh, yeah, and to Ray Comfort. So, so one of the big things for her is that you can tell the difference between human hair and animal hair, and this <laughs> tells us that we are different and distinct creations. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Oh, you just you you spoiled my, the whole you spoiled the whole thing, Gary. You can tell my hair from your hair. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> 
Yeah, but uh, follow the circuitous logic, okay, if you will. Okay, here we go. No, it's going to come in little bits. It's not going to okay. come all at once in a nice, easy format. It's okay. just going to be dropped here and there. Great. And she mentioned that like part of this was how we were created in God's likeness. And I was like, well, does that mean God has hair? What does that oh, mean? Oh, right, yeah. The whole likeness thing is a, is a real beard? bugaboo. Maybe she's one of these beard believers who thinks Scott has a long beard. Oh, could be, because she actually, she does bring up beards here okay, very soon. Okay, there we go. So she asks us a series of questions. First, she says, so do you think we could tell the difference just from finding it between an arm hair, a beard hair, a head hair? She didn't mention pubic hair because it's not that kind of place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so me and another guy sitting next to me both said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, yes. Yeah. And I thought of your argument with Drew about uh, beard hairs versus pubic hairs. Oh, what was our argument about? About whether you could tell which was which oh, just from looking yes. at it. Oh, yes. All right. Well, and now like, I can't remember who took which position, <laughs> but I know I felt strongly. <laughs> Drew, Drew said that, yes, you could tell the difference. And you're like, no, no, they look so similar. Yeah. And then I offered the point that men see a lot of pubes because of urinals. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which colored our conversation. Anyways, uh, so then she asked, can we tell the difference between gender by looking at hair? And the guy next to me was now emboldened. And he said, yes. And she mm. said, probably not. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh and he, shoot. he started muttering next to me. Like, oh, well, okay. Well, I guess. <laughs> so she said. Uh, she set up a pattern and then she broke a pattern. <laughs> Exactly. I've been, mis- Rude. I've been misled. But uh, she said, well, if it's a young hair and it gets torn out and it has like some living material attached to it. Well, sure. <laughs> uh, genetic information, then we can. Otherwise, no. And so I'm immediately thinking, well, why didn't God make those different if the difference between men and women is so important yeah, to you? Yeah. So true. She said, can we tell the age of someone by their hair? And I would have um, hmm. said yes, but I learned my lesson from the guy next to me. Like, I'm not shouting. Maybe. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> and it turns out, well, no, except for lack of pigmentation in the oh, older sure. person's hair. Though uh, there are younger people who have lack of pigmentation. Sure. And she said that infants have distinctive hair. And uh, she mentioned that there's so a... So bu- maybe. <laughs> right. Uh, there's a verse that talks about uh, gray hair being like your crowning glory. Mm. And so she kind of cited that and said, but I'm not ready for that just yet. Yeah. So that was her little way of saying, I'm dying my hair for now. <laughs> she asked, can you tell if hair was pulled out? And I said, yeah. So I was emboldened again. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> And she said yes. So okay, because it would have a, it wouldn't have that like hard edge of being cut. Yeah, it's got a little extra follicle material with it. Mm-hmm. So a little chunk at the end now that's been of torn flesh, and you felt it. It hurt because it wasn't just the dead material. Yeah. sloughing off. And so she said, "Here's the parts of hair. There's uh, the cuticle. That's the outside and the like the protective coating. And then you've got the cortex, and that contains the melanin." and the cells of the hair. Okay. And then there's a canal up the center called the, she kept saying medulla, and I was like, oh, I would have said medulla. And then I looked up videos of actual hair experts talking about it, and they all said medulla. So, Mm. uh, all right, whatever, the small thing. She said that's what we're going to be looking at later, that canal in the center, like that differentiates between people. Sometimes it's kind of solid. Sometimes it's a little broken up. And sometimes it's absent altogether. Hmm. So that's what we'll be able to look at through the microscopes. Okay. Another major point for her was that you can tell animals apart by their fur because they have specific types of formations. 
And she made a whole point about how this confirms Genesis 1. No. So she said the the reason you can usually tell them apart is because they come in three basic patterns. Uh, For example, she introduced the... Leopard print. Cornell. That's what she said, and that's what she wrote on her slide. Cornell, like the school, or Chris Cornell. And she says she calls them stacking cups because they look like a bunch of cups sort of stacked. So I went to look this up later, and then I realized it was coronal. Oh, okay. And that is the term for the one of the three basic hair patterns. Okay. And I thought, that's pretty bad that she teaches this whole class and somehow she confused coronal with Cornell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coronal meaning like a crown. Yeah, yeah. which, yeah, those, when yeah, they look like stacked crowns and you look at them. So somehow she got Cornell in her head. And when I looked online for Cornell hair pattern, I just got pictures of Chris Cornell, the singer. <laughs> That gave me a good laugh, just that she got something kind of that basic about her yeah, yeah, field her of expertise yeah. wrong. So uh, might want to update your slide on that one. And then you've got your spinous formation. So it's got a lot of little prickles going off in different directions, and it looks like an asparagus, so that's what she calls it. Uh, oh, yeah, so the stacking cups one, the coronal one you find in rodents and bats, the spinous one you find in seals and cats, and then you've got the imbricate, like I-M-B-R-I-C-A-T-E, which looks like a brick wall and it's it doesn't have repeating patterns. It's more chaotic and looks like hmm. a bunch of stacked cells. Okay. And she says it's common in humans. And she's making a, a big deal about how this is unique to humans. But she even mentions kind of like in the wording on the slide that it's found in some animals. Oh. So it's like, all right, well, that defeats... Your point. Your point. That- so are these different designs present uh, all in humanity? These different hair designs? No, all humans will have the imbricate okay, um, okay. formation. And, and some animals. And some animals. And so- then the other ones other mammals have. Yeah. Okay, right, got exactly. it. She just keeps undermining her own points. It's very strange. She, she talks about how it's uh, hard to get data from hair and like... <laughs> Uh, She's like, because you need to have young hair that's kind of pulled out so that it has a bit of that genetic information in it. Uh So if it falls out naturally, no, no good. And if you don't get enough hair pulled out, well, then that's not going to have enough for you to actually pull DNA from and get a reading on. So she said, she was talking about one of her friends who said that in her career doing this, she'd only had one crime that had been solved by hair evidence. Yeah. Okay. So so what's this lady's point? Again, undercutting her own point. Yeah. How bizarre. And again, it wasn't her own research or crime scene investigation she's talking about it with somebody else's so okay. anyways uh look up liberty universe it was liberty right yeah she talked about these uh stages of hair growth that uh, take place over two to six years so there's different names for kind of when the hair is fresh and thick and still really attached and then to uh, the next stage where the hair starts to degenerate at the roots and then the one where the growth stops completely and it's very easy for it to fall out And then finally the step where uh, it gets kind of knocked out and new hair grows in its place. Now, you said this lady was a doctor. Yes. Oh, wait. Um, Found their program? Yes. So you can get a PhD in anatomy and cell biology. From from, Liberty University. Yeah. they're. um, I've got a degree in truthology from Christian Tech. Their forensic science lab. Defend the innocent with a bachelor's degree in forensic science. Okay. So, so I asked at this point, well, what happens to the DNA? 
And she said, ah, it just kind of shrivels up and dries and we can't we can't get any useful info from it even if we found it at that point okay cool hey quick question why are we here why are we at this class it seems like there's no point to this (laughs) well to learn that human hair is distinct and that but not very but not very okay again to the point of undercutting the point she's she's trying to say that because we see these different patterns and we can tell this hair apart, and she's got samples for us that we're going to use that have been generously donated. She says voluntarily no animals were harmed by, like, the camel who lives there at the Mm -hmm. Ark Encounter, and they've got, like, uh, cat hair, dog hair. I don't think we got primate hair, but she had a picture of it. Anyways, because we can tell them apart, that's evidence that uh, we didn't evolve because Uh our hair is different. But, I mean... It would be more impressive. This is my foot. What is this supposed to mean? If we all had different like modes of genetic inheritance rather than the shared DNA language that we have, I'd be more impressed. Uh-huh. But yeah, just this one particular thing that's different for us uh, isn't impressing me at all. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what's it's going a weird on for her. Argument. I guess she's thinking, okay, if we were related to primates, then we would expect our hair to be similar to their fur. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what she's thinking? Yeah. Is and it similar? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, our free, long-growing hair is unique to us. Mm-hmm, you know, sure. something that cropped up uh, evolutionarily recently for us. So, yeah. Um. okay, th- that point. But, I mean, science has a good explanation and plenty of time yeah. for that to be sure. explained. Did so, the, do the primates have one of these other shapes, though? The non-human primates? I think they're also the imbricate. Okay, <laughs> then like we imbr- have a real problem. I'm seeing a source here that says chimpanzee hairs have imbricate cuticle scales with a wave pattern and mostly rippled margins. So, yeah, you're not making the point you think you are, Dr. Rivera. It was such a weak point to begin with. Yeah. And then she doesn't even have it. In one sentence, she'll say, imbricate pattern distinguishes human from animal hairs. And then the next sentence, she'll say, it has no repeating patterns as in many animals. It's like, Okay, many animals share that pattern. What mm-hmm. what point do you think you're making? Yeah, how strange. I have a whole class based on this. Yeah, um, this isn't useful. This feels like it's just something to take up time and make you feel like you're doing something and hope science-y. that the guy next to you understands it. You know, I'd almost expect them to pass out lab coats. Like, hey, we're doing science. Let's get some photos. Totally. Oh, okay. So here's what she thought was being confirmed from Genesis 1, 24 through 25. She kept highlighting according to their kinds, according to their kinds. But but again, this really doesn't support her point at all. I Yeah, I'm confused as to why this was a class. But <laughs> we got to pull out the microscopes. Yeah. And that's always fun. Did you look at hair? Yeah. Okay, you so looked at it. I pulled out some of my own hair. Okay. And I was uh, at the table with uh, three young men with uh, blonde hair. Okay. So yeah, we were able to take turns looking through the microscope, set it up this brand new microscope, like pull it out of the plastic. That was cool. And then did she give you animal hair as well to look at? Yeah. Okay. So we had that. Preparing them. Yeah. Got so it. we were getting a little instruction on preparing a slide and basic errors to avoid and don't crack the thing and you know here's how to change magnification so all of that we took turns tried to take photos through the the lens it was all fun yeah cool. we were having a good time we were Pointless, all talking but fun there was a guy near me who was constantly coughing oh yeah and sniffling and i was like oh great this is where i get covid but I didn't then, so that was nice. And that was it. Got real noisy. We we're all having fun, calling over teacher, you know, to help with whatever. But um, we looked at hair, 
And <laughs> that was it for hair microscopy. Wow, wow, we have learned nothing. We have learned nothing. <laughs> Devastating. Devastatingly bad but teaching. That's what she feels is one of her strong points. Oh my word. Well, it's not. Boy, that talk was off point. But you know what would be on point is a show like this. Where am I? On Maximum Fun. What do you want? A podcast miniseries about The Prisoner. Whose side are you on? That would be telling, but okay, I'm on my own side. It's one of my favorite ever TV shows. We want a podcast on it. A Prisoner podcast. You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? I'm Elliot Kalin. Who is number one? Jesse Thorne. But you are John Hodgman. I am not a Prisoner podcaster. I am a free man. <laughs> oh, are you okay? <laughs> Elliot, are you all right? Okay, I'll watch it. All four episodes of Depotting You are out now. Oh, I hope they've got the bread bowl. Have you seen the bread bowl at this place? Mm-hmm. Good evening. Welcome to Maximum Fun. Have you been here before? It's her first time. Very good. Might I recommend our special? Oh, please. Can I interest you in the Max Fun Drive? I'm told they're cooking up something quite extraordinary this year. I've heard about this. With limited time thank you gifts for new and upgrading members? That's right. <laughs> we'll take it. How would you like your episodes? Uh, can I get them excellent with new Boko on the side? Mm-hmm. Oh, are there live stream events? Absolutely. You know, if you're interested in events, Meetup Day is returning. What? Oh, you're going to love Meetup Day. It's the best. Okay, let me make sure I have everything. Max Fun Drive 2023 with limited time thank you gifts, live stream events, meetup day, excellent episodes, and of course, new bonus content. Sounds perfect. Great. We'll get it started and it'll be ready in two weeks, March 20th. Oh, can we also get a couple of waters? Of course. All right, and then I'll tell you real quickly about the last talk of the actual homeschooling experience. And that was Ken Ham giving his kind of closing talk Okay. before we would announce the big event with Kirk Cameron. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, he, he got up and this was kind of like a greatest hits of Ken Ham. So some Ken Ham. Yeah. He had he had an hour to speak. And I don't know. It just seems like he's found the greatest gig for like a cranky old man who has one thing he loves to complain about yeah, sure. and a receptive audience who wants to hear him crank about it yeah totally he gave an example of some creation myth that sounded very similar to like having a tree in a garden kind Mm -hmm. of thing don't eat from this so he was saying you know it's similar but it's been corrupted not like ours uh he had some point that he thought made darwin sound racist uh (laughs) he's talking about his 12 stones ministry and how that symbolizes passing along information to the next generation and how important it is to do that kind of, uh, he didn't say this, but vertical transmission where you mm. train up the next generation and then train up the next generation. This is our focus. And uh, he was really upset by Gen Z. He kept mentioning Gen Z. They've been labeled as like the first post-Christian mm. generation. Generation, thank you. How many? Uh, this is in the big hall, by the way, where you can fit you know hundreds of people. And, and, and it was pretty full. Uh, he said, thank God all my five kids are still Christian. 
And uh, we do have one wow. daughter who needs to be married. I'm just advertising that. Yuck. Yeah, I know that poor daughter. He keeps yeah. like, I've seen him in multiple videos now mentioning like, oh, we still have one who isn't married oh. yet. Just need to find Does her the right name? man. No, he hasn't mentioned, at least not in any of the mentions I heard, did he actually name her. Hmm. But I still feel bad for her. Yeah, interesting. Ken Ham's daughter, if you're listening, please. Oh, goodness. He says, well, there is no gay marriage because a marriage Ugh. is between a man and a woman. Useless. Useless. Absolutely useless. So he says that that's what Satan does, though. It takes something good and it perverts it. Mm. Um, that's like an argument people were making in 2008. I mean, I'm sure they've been making it forever, but like, oh, yeah, it just feels so old. Just like, oh, yeah, wow, you pulled out one definition and said, yeah. let's not change the definition because the definition is the definition. What, what? For sure. I, I don't think anyway. Ken Ham is uniquely immune to seeing uh, antiquity as a bad selling point for an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would drop these little political bombs and then kind of make a little disclaimer like, oh, I don't mean to be political or anything, but the state believes they own your children. And okay. that would get like a lot of like interaction from the audience. So, yeah, yeah. Yes, they do. And we don't like it. They are more focused on pushing an LGBTQ agenda than serving our nation. Oh, all right. Well, good. <laughs> this is just, you know, like you would restate things many times and, and many of the points we've made before. So I'm just kind of jumping through talking points here. He asked, are women equal to men? Well, depends in which regard we're asking. For when it comes to respect or salvation, of course, sure, they're equal. Uh, But But... husbands are supposed to be the head of the house and women are supposed to be in submission to them. And the world just hates that. Now that, yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting that he would say respect. That the respect should be equal. You know, that was me uh, listening to him on my bike ride home and then summarizing it later. So okay. he might not have used that word. Okay, but gotcha. that, that was kind of the idea. Uh, he mentions all his kids again and says that they all got a Christian education. Uh, some were homeschooled. Some they sent to carefully chosen Christian schools. Mm. But that's really important uh, that, you know, you don't send your child again out to the uh, secular world. He had an interesting analogy for why you train your children when they're young Hmm. using Vegemite. Oh, because you will not like Vegemite unless you're used to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's telling. (laughs) Right. Uh, So he had a recommendation in case you're someone like me who thinks it's disgusting. You can make toast and put a little bit of butter, a little bit of Vegemite, and then some cheese on top of it. I I guess he would not be for eating the Bible in that case. Anyways, that was his recommendation. But then he dug on all of us saying, well, you all have been trained to enjoy pickles and they're disgusting. (gasps) He hates pickles, Carrie. What? You're like, I was okay with Ken Ah! Ham until now. I love a dill pickle. I don't like a sweet pickle. It would have been funny if he had told us how bad canned ham is. He should. He should take a stand. Uh, He went off on Joe Biden again, not trying to be political, but, you know, with uh, whatever religion Joe Biden claims to be, he didn't mention Catholicism. Yeah, he's Catholic. He said, yeah, like didn't want to dignify it. He like was promoting LGBTQ while quoting Genesis 1 saying we're all made in God's image. 
But little does he know the very next verse, it says that they were created male and female. Mm, Right. I thought this was interesting. Many Christian colleges seriously contaminate God's word. And he called out a few schools. I remember Wheaton and Biola. Oh, right. Because that's where my sister went. And now my niece is going. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to send them the clip just so they can be like, can ham. So this is, You're uh, not Christian enough for, t- for Ken Ham. Corrupted. Bible school student. And he wanted to make it clear, don't get me wrong, our kids went to college. I'm not saying college is bad. I'm just saying you have to be... There are six you can go to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've chosen a very small amount of them. So then his big point was that the most important thing in life is salvation. And this was a big applause line. I'd rather my kids be ditch diggers and go to heaven than be famous, academic, or wealthy person here on earth big applause for that one sure sure if we accept that heaven's real and hell's Mm -hmm. real but that's a lot then he had an image of like kids and a poodle and a car and a house and he said which one of these will go with you to heaven poodle it's poodle sorry do you have poodle hair can we look at the poodle hair (laughs) sorry he doesn't believe that the poodle's going to join you, just the, uh, the Oh, kids. he's one of these animals don't go to heaven? The animals don't go to heaven. Did we already talk about that? No. Okay. Well, that's a crock of shit. <laughs> now that yeah. he's ragged on pickles and <laughs> dogs going to heaven. He's sending dogs to hell and he doesn't like pickles. Okay, <laughs> get this guy out of here. The dogs probably just cease to exist. Huh. Oh. Interesting that things can do that redonkulous and still be worthwhile knows humans stop existing by dogs do (laughs) oh i see you believe in heaven yes obviously come on there's a movie about this it's very good and then he uh encourages everyone to come back here all the time and says your kids can learn from the same exhibits multiple times like when they see them again they'll learn new things (laughs) this is so sad oh my god this is like your one vacation bored kids but from the showing of hands earlier it sounds like "Mm, this is where people come back anyway yeah this is their second third time who knows how many times they've been here and uh he says we're even hiring move here (laughs) let's (laughs) let's get you out here Join my little Ken Ham paradise. He mentioned that his new book, Divided Nation, which I have read, Ooh, uh-huh. is selling at Hobby Lobby. Oh, sure it is. Great. Um, You've read it. Okay, can't wait. Then after promoting some more of their products, kind of going through the catalog, he signs off and he, uh, he has our friend Brian Osborne, he of the Bible Motions, come up to uh, let us know when we can return to see... Kirk Cameron. Sweet. Can't wait for my man KC. So that's going to be that's going to be the final like in the main arc series. Uh we'll be describing this rally with Kirk Cameron. It is something else. Can't okay. wait to tell you about it. Uh but thank you for homeschooling with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Yes, it's I've really learned very little. <laughs> <laughs> really? But I've been talking so much. That's true. That's true. In it my sounds home. like they did as well. Uh-huh. Um, and yet, I really feel about where I was when I walked in the door. Hmm. Well, maybe you're just, uh, maybe your heart has been hardened. Yeah, maybe. I uh, Science, which is defined as seeking knowledge, which is bad, has ruined me. No, Carrie. The, the 1828 definition of science is the science of God must be perfect. Someone needs to tell her. It's so humiliating. Oh, uh, yeah. We're embarrassed for you. Oh, my God. What's her name? Dr. Jennifer Rivera. I'm going to find her. I'm going to see if I can find her email. Just let her know. 
That's not the definition. Also goes as Dr. Jennifer Hall Rivera. Speaking of Dr. Halls, yeah. uh, RIP to Harriet oh, Hall. Oh, yeah, Dr. Harriet Hall. Yeah. We lost the skeptic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she was a great resource, especially on medical science and pseudoscience. And early in this show, she told us to stop making it. Yeah, she's like... <laughs> This is very dangerous, the stuff that you're doing. Have you ever considered not doing that? Yeah, we're like, oh, you have a different vibe, but you have very good work. But she had also written a lot of articles very specific to the topics on our show. And we had extended the offer of potentially coming on our show. And she'd said, yeah, just send me all the questions you're going to ask me in advance. And we're like, oh, okay, wow, we'd really have to plan this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we had intended to follow up because, yeah, she was just the kind of person we'd love to talk to. And, you know, I've met her before and um, interacted with her at conferences. And, uh, yeah, we miss her. Yeah, RIP. I guess that's it. Well, for this episode. For this episode. It, no, it's not for... like we heard Dr. Harriet Hall's advice and we're like, you know what? In her honor, we should <laughs> stop canceling putting show. ourselves in danger. No, no. Bless her. Bless her for worrying about us. Mm-hmm. Well, this episode's theme music was by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. But why would you? Just wait for Maximum, Maximum Drive. It's Fun like right Fun. around the corner. It's, it's March 20th. Yeah, it's coming so soon. Yeah, so soon. It's going to be a good drive. We have some fun stuff to share. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. So mark your calendars. And uh, yeah, we've got some fun, fresh new stories. Yeah. Can't wait to tell you. And some really cool news from Max Fun. Oh, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll be seeing you again soon. And But in the meantime, still tell your friends. Leave positive reviews. Make your pillows even more inviting by stitching a catchphrase from our show on them. There you go. Yeah. Why not? I never knew that. And I still don't. There you go. There's one. And remember. The 23rd chromosome, the one that is not numbered, is the gender chromosome. You can see here there are two options. There is an XX chromosome or there is an XY chromosome, which is a male and XX is a female. Well, how does this confirm God's word? Well, it tells us in Genesis 1:27 that he created him male and female. So just in the chromosomes inside every cell confirms exactly what God's word tells us. So key that we point these simple things out to kids and use the Bible as our starting point. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.